TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Uh, hello, everybody. Good morning, everybody. I'm Glenn Macna with Mike Sielski. And today, Mike, we aim to cover a lot of ground, uh, certainly with the Phillies. It's funny, when you and I spoke, I don't know, Tuesday, whenever, after they had lost, we said, ah, are we still going to want to talk about the Phillies on Saturday? I think the entire region is still on the black couch yeah. working through its issues I do when too. it comes to the Phillies. I do, too. I didn't know if, like, by today, people would be like, ah, yeah, let's move on. But, no, we will certainly spend a good half of the show talking about the Eagles. We're going to work on all of the teams. Interesting things going on with both the Flyers and Sixers. Oh, and I have a good TV recommendation. Excellent. We're back to that. But, yeah, let's start with what went wrong and kind of moving ahead. Um, and first, we'll give our two cents on what went wrong. Mike, they were up two games to none. Mm. They were up three games to two. Two games at home. Aaron Nola, Ranger Suarez on the mound last two games. I'll let you take the first shot off the tee. What went wrong? Well, a few things. Uh, you left out, Glenn, not that what you said wasn't bad enough, but they had a one-run lead after six-and-a-half innings yeah. in Game 3. They had a three-run lead after six-and-a-half innings in Game 4 and lost both of those games, which I think gets to the number one issue of why things went wrong. They ran out of bullpen arms. That's number one. Mm -hmm. We said this uh, when we were talking before the show. Relievers in the Major League Baseball playoffs are like defensemen in the NHL playoffs. You can't have enough of them. They're either going to get hurt or they're not going to perform and you need somebody to step in. Wow. And I was thinking Michelle Petit. Yeah, right. <laughs> trade deadline acquisition Yeah, Danny type. Markov or yeah, something right. like that. But it's the truth. Craig Kimbrell goes bad, and what do you do then? What are yep. your options? You're forced, maybe not forced, to put – you know, Orion Kirkering in there in high leverage situations when the kid doesn't have a whole lot of experience. Uh, Soto isn't getting guys out. You have Jeff Hoffman and a wing and a prayer. So that's number one. Oh, Sir Anthony, I thought, recovered. He was, it was okay, but yeah, he, he wasn't was... the Sir Anthony of last year. No, you were nervous about him, but he did the job. He did the job. Yeah. And, and by the way, I, I would have, uh, since we're, we're focusing on the bullpen, I, I would have had a little more faith to go to Lorenzen earlier. This Absolutely. Year. Absolutely. That's... He was your deadline acquisition for yeah. situations like that, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. uh, especially in that game four where you pull Christian Sh Sanchez so early and you need some length behind him, and Rob Thompson didn't do that. So I think it's – and I think you're alluding to this. It's, there's no simple one answer, right? No. And I, and no. I, and I heard H Howard, and I'm not, Howard's got his opinion, um, kind of exonerating the manager today. I don't totally exonerate the manager. I like Rob Thompson. I think he does a good job. I want him back. I think you and I spoke about this this week. He runs a good clubhouse. The yep. guys like him. He knows what he's doing and so on. 
I don't always like his in-game decisions, okay? And in the World Series, in the postseason, excuse me, that gets magnified. Yes. Because every game really matters. Putting Kimberl in the first time, okay, I, you know, but mm-hmm. putting Kimberl in the second time, to me, was malfeasance. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree with you completely. Putting Kirkering in the first time was, hey, the kid's done really well for us. But then it became apparent the moment was too big for him. So putting Kirkering in the second game was like, no, you got to not do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was not among those calling for changing the batting order. And I think Bohm, Bohm got out of the slump. Bohm was 6 for 18 with a home run and two walks those last five games. He was not your problem. Just three strikeouts. He, Alec Bohm had a, a 797 OPS in the, in the NLCS. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. He wasn't your offensive problem. A lot of other guys were. Yeah. So Matt Gelb of The Athletic, <clears throat> pardon me, has a terrific piece about how the Diamondbacks changed their pitching approach mm-hmm. over the latter half of that series, basically getting, understanding that the Phillies were going to chase pitches out of the strike zone and pitching them accordingly. And I think what you saw, particularly in games six and seven, is a natural byproduct and a risk of the kind of team that the Phillies are. The very thing that made them really, really dangerous in the postseason, the very thing that helped them win 90 games in the regular season, was the very thing that could sink them in the postseason, which was when they're good, they're great, and they're hitting the ball 400 feet five times a game. And when they're bad, they don't put the ball in play, and they don't put the ball in play even productively. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the talk of the lineup change, to be honest, Glenn, is is kind of silly. I mean, one of the last best scoring opportunities they had in Game 7 was when Kyle Schwarber led off an inning with a double. The problem wasn't the leadoff hitter getting on base. The problem was they hitters behind him didn't do anything. Yeah. Turner had a bad series. Yeah. and Harper did not have a good series. No, no. And that's— Castellanos as, was— I mean, you could have you could have sent him up there with a with a paddleboard yeah. or and he wouldn't have hit the ball. Yeah, um, frozen. Yeah, and again, I think that's a byproduct of how they've built their team. We saw the same thing in the World Series last year. They go up two games to one. They hit what five home runs in Game Three. It looks like they're going to take a stranglehold on the World Series in the Astros, and they barely put the ball in play mm-hmm. over the next three games. And the same sort of thing happened in Game Six and Seven here. So there is the argument that if you have all these guys who basically these are free-swinging guys, uh, and Dave Dombrowski talked about it during, um, d- d- uh, during his uh, year-end news. Or let me see if we have it. We have some cuts. Do we have it? Ben, do we have the one where Dombrowski talks about not adjusting well? Okay, let's play that. And I tip my cap to the Diamondbacks because they did a really fine job, is that they make adjustments. And when they made adjustments, our guys still kept chasing and I'm not really sure why. I'm sure they didn't want to chase. It's not like you're saying, hey, I want to chase after the pitches, but for whatever reason, they were, I don't know if it was they were such quality pitches that they were still fooled. I don't know if they were, just timing was off. I don't know if they were stressing too much and feeling pressure. I don't really know that answer, but I I will say that you could tell that we chased a lot more. I mean, chase rates were up, and they took advantage of it. That's it. That's that's exactly it. The Diamondbacks adjusted. They figured out the Phillies' Achilles heel, so to speak. And I'll say this, Glenn, and I'm look, I like Trey Turner as a player a ton. Mm-hmm. I think he's a good guy. There's a part of me that feels bad that he went through the slump in this league championship series that kind of contributed to the Phillies getting beat. Here's a thing that concerns me, and I would love to get your insight and take on this. 
one of the things I think we've learned about Turner, and he's kind of emblematic of what we're talking about here with respect to being streaky, is that the environment affects him. He, he felt an awful lot of pressure early in the season when he was slumping. Mm-hmm. Then he got the standing ovation, and the weight was lifted, and he played and hit great. And then he admitted after Game 7, he said, you know, I was really pressing yeah. in that series. I was really pressing. And I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't expect to hear that from him. He's a guy who, one of the 10 best players in baseball, has played and won in a, wor- a World Series. Yeah. He's played in Big L.A. Situations. and Washington. Yeah. It just struck me that he would admit that. Yeah. And the evidence was there this year. I, the evidence was there this year. And um, when it was lifted, I think like you, I thought like, okay, now we're past that. And obviously we weren't past that. I hope over the long term that we are past that. Mm-hmm. That's all I can do is figure he's not – going to be the kind of guy who, you know, next year is going to suddenly feel that 3,000-pound piano sitting on his back yeah. and he'll be okay. The, the, the issue that we have here is that the lineup, which was so successful all year, and listen, you and I argued with other people about this, which is, yeah, they hit a lot of home runs and they strike out and they win games doing that, mm-hmm. okay? And, you know, we kind of were like, that's what you do. That's what they do. Right. But ultimately it caught up with them. Yes, it did. So how much can you change this lineup? I don't know that you can. I think you can hope and prepare for players like Alec Bohm and Bryson Stott and Rojas to continue to improve. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think guys, you can hope that Trey Turner is more consistent over the course of a full season rather than being really, really bad, being really, really great, and then slumping again. They kind of are who they are. Like, please tell me, like, what radical change you really want to see made. I don't see it. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna add relievers. I hope. Yeah. You could make a case. You add a starting pitcher, and you may have to if Aaron Nola decides to sign somewhere else. But with respect to the lineup, I don't know what gigantic adjustment can be made. Well, let's play. This is another Dombrowski cut talking about the lineup and kind of the. I guess he almost refers to him as the second tier guys. I think we have a very talented club. I mean, I, I, this is a good team. There's a lot of star players on this team. And, and when I say that, not only star players, there's good supporting players, too. I mean, the young players coming up, Stott's good. Bohm's good. Marsh is good. I think Rojas is going to be good. Sanchez has helped us. Kirkring is going to be a good player for us. And we have a good core of players. So this is a good team. We, and, I, and, I mean, I know any time you get beat, it's like, oh, you know, and hey, it's a downer. I mean, it's like I'm not sitting here – being all pumped up and all that, but when you start looking through the A's, we have a good team, and and it's not like our guys are still not in their prime. It's not like other guys are getting better. Uh, I think we again have to address a starting pitching situation there, but we do that. I, I'm in a position where I think, hey, this club, we we can play. We're good. By the way, let me give you the numbers: two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four, which is really the question of so what do they do now? And I, just I'm going to say as an aside, I appreciate his candor, and I appreciate Rob Thompson's candor, and I just think it's a cultural thing. Like, we're so used to dealing with Howie. Yeah. Who gives us (laughs) nothing. Nothing, yes. Nothing. Howie, what color are your shoes? Well, I can't really tell you. Yeah, I can't get into that. We're just trying to make the football team better. Right. Like, (laughs) you know, what was the, he had the famous one, some days I like pepperoni and some days I like sausage. Yes. I can't tell. It's like, 
football guy. It's a, it's a football culture it where is. like it's you there's know, there's a level of paranoia in the NFL. Kremlin that, secrets that yeah. they cannot reveal, and and it was just refreshing after this loss to have him and Rob Thompson come out and say like, yeah, I blew some stuff, you know, and I appreciate it. Yeah, and to have both of them point out and not really sugarcoat it that a guy like Nick Castellanos hurt them with the slump mm-hmm. that he went into. Yes, right. Um, um, but so what do they do this off season? In terms of, let's just stick with the lineup for a second okay. and not the pitching. Because, yes, they need relief pitching. Absolutely. And if Nola stays, that's great. But you probably want to add somebody. If Nola leaves, that clearly becomes Dave Middleton, get the checkbook. Yeah. Yes. Would you make any change up in the lineup? Would you get an experienced center fielder? Or no. are you going to go with Rojas? No, I wouldn't. I don't think you need to get an experienced center fielder. I think people who are homing in on Rojas as a problem in the lineup are missing, A, they're forgetting the defense that he brought and the fact that he made that lineup defensively more athletic, which it needed to be. No question. And secondly, okay, that's why he's there. You have enough offense throughout the course of the lineup that Mm, if you have a guy— these games you didn't. Well— would you have pinch hit for him in that situation? I would have pinch hit for him in game seven, Me, me yes. too. Me, yes, absolutely. That's one of the ones, Rob. And I know they said, well, would have been a good double switch, and then they put in 11, and then they put in, you got to put in Pache. Whatever you had to do, I would have done that and get because he was not going to get a hit. No, it was like having a pitcher bat in yeah. that situation. Yeah. Okay. I, I would have. I'm sorry. I, I interrupted you there. But, no, So you're okay. good. These nine guys you're coming back with next year, Harper on first base, Schwarber's your DH, Rojas in center field. Uh, Hoskins, thank you so much for your service. Yeah, the the only um, exception I would take to what you just said there, Glenn, is that Dombrowski himself said that Rojas had not nailed down the center field job yet, mm-hmm. and he didn't want to hand that to him yet. But you go in thinking it's either going to be him or you know Pache or some. Or you got to fall back to Marsh. Yeah, fall back to Marsh again. They don't want Schwarber in left field. Yes, you know? and the defense did get much, much better and, as the season went on. And you have to think of it in those terms because of the rules changes. Again, we've spoken about this. You can't have Kyle Schwarber in left field and just put him where the opposing hitter is most likely to hit the ball. You can't do that anymore. You need outfielders who can move and cover ground and catch the ball on the move, and you therefore you can't have Schwarber out there. Okay. Um, anyway, you see Reese Hoskins coming back. I would really be surprised. Yeah, I'd I don't really see it. be surprised if yeah. he came back. Yeah, I don't see it. And 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 you know, listen, he was he's a great guy and he's a great Philly and all that. But it's like this is it, this is the business we have chosen. Yes, quoting Hyman Roth. exactly. And you know, what kind of Reese Hoskins would you be getting back? That seems a risk you don't necessarily need to take. I know that's cold. Everybody loves Reese as a person. Uh, if you're a Phillies fan, you appreciate what he did for the organization and what he gave, but. He sat out a whole – he missed a whole we'll, we'll year. We'll see at the reunion. Yeah, he missed a whole year. And <laughs> okay. Bryce Harper is going to have time to learn to play first base even better than he already and does. Bryce, and by the way, he was pretty good at first base. Yeah, he didn't hurt them. No. He didn't hurt he was them. Be- he was better than Hoskins. Yeah. You know, no corner butcher there. Yeah, no dropping the ball on a right. double play or anything like that. All right, so Rob Thompson, uh, you are comfortable with him coming back. We don't like some of his decisions, but overall it's a thumbs up. Yes. Okay, he was asked – um, at this news conference, how he feels about going into next year. He does not have a contract no. uh, past next year. No, and how he feels going in as, my favorite phrase, a lame, lame duck. duck. Again, that doesn't really bother me. I've, I've, my whole career, I've never worried about my contract. I've never worried about the length of my contract. 
I've never worried about getting fired. It just doesn't enter my, because uh, I can't control it. I, I just can't. So I leave it alone. I put my head down and do my work, and, and whatever, whatever happens, happens. By the way, in his case, I believe it. Yeah. No, I do. I think he's... I think had, a lot of people would lie if they said that. I think I, he's had the kind of experience in the in the game that allows him to think that way. You know, he had been a bench coach and a bullpen guy and all of these right. positions in the back. A lifer in support. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and now he's got his chance, and so he's not thinking about it. As far as he was concerned, he could lose his job every single year. Yeah, wasn't he going to retire after, yeah. right? And then he decided, ah, come back, and then he became the manager. He was going to retire when he was the coach. Right. Two years ago, and then they made him the manager, and it's like, here he is. Yeah, and and look, I do think, Glenn, and and you hinted at this earlier, I think the fact that he gets those guys, that team, to play hard and well over an 162-game season and that they reach their potential, really, over 162 games, that's a manager's primary job. That's his most important job. We can can pick over the decision-making in the postseason, and yes, those decisions take on more importance, but the bottom line is those guys like playing for him. They play hard for him. They generally play smart for him, and that's what you want out of him. So Dombrowski's got to add a couple of years to the offseason. I think so, yes. I do too. Yeah. And I think you can't will. have him come back. Yeah, uh, clearly. Yeah. They're not going to fire him. And if you're not going to fire him, you can't have him be a lame. No. Guy. So he had years. And John Middleton is like, hey, John, you know, we need your tip money for the next two weeks. <laughs> this will not impact him. We need that cigar money, man. Yes, this will not impact him. All right. One other thing I want to bring up, and this is this is to me Rob Thompson being mature. After the uh, NLCS ended, uh, Taiwan Walker went on social media. God, it's such poison. Man. It is. You know, I'm. Is. One of these days, you, you and I are going to talk. I'm, I'm so thinking of getting off Twitter. Yeah. It, I, I, I feel like I can't because I use it, but it's such a swamp. But anyway, yeah. I'm, it's, it's, that's all on the side. It, it used to be a, a really good way to promote your work if you were a writer. It's not even good at that anymore. No, 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 no. Anyway, anyway, that, that, that's a different conversation. But Taiwan Walker, I guess, ended up liking some social media postings that were critical of Rob Thompson mm-hmm. for not using them and maybe posted something and... And uh, Rob Thompson was asked about this yesterday and how he felt about, you know, being called out by Taiwan Walker. Rob, have you talked to uh, Taiwan yet? Uh, I haven't. I heard about it. I mean, the, the one of the tweets that he liked, it was super. I mean, I, you read it. You read the, the, the tweet. Yeah, sure. Super critical of you. Um, wondering what your thought is of that and how badly uh, is that relationship fractured, if you think it is. Oh, not at all. Not not one bit. I, I people get emotional. He's a competitive guy. I love Taiwan. I really do. This guy gave us fifteen wins. Uh, every time he goes out to the mound, he competes uh, until we take him out, and then he he never wants to come out. I don't want a guy like that. So that type of thing doesn't bother me. Um, I will I'll call him at some point, but I love him. I love. Uh, his demeanor. I love his toughness. Um, I, I'm sure everything will be fine. Nice response from the manager there. Yep. Mature. Yeah, it was. And look, to a certain degree, I can understand where Walker is coming from. He wants to pitch, and he didn't pitch at all in the postseason. Uh, and Dombrowski got into this a little bit, too, uh, when asked about it, in that you have to have somebody you kind of hold in reserve for long relief and the way Walker pitches, how long it takes him to warm up, 
he wasn't the kind of guy you could bring in for an inning. You had to he he had to be the guy you held in reserve in case you needed three or four innings, you know, because the game is tied in the tenth, eleventh, twelfth inning, something like that. Um, but you're right, Glenn. Like social media can be pretty yeah. revealing about some things, and yeah. we have some insight now into why Taiwan how Taiwan Walker was thinking yeah, well, during this time. I don't blame him either. No. I mean, I, I've, if I'm advising him, I'm saying don't, don't do that. Right. Bring it up to the manager when you talk to him. You don't have to, you know, send it to the world. But also, I, I listen. I get his frustration. Sure. He led the team in wins. He didn't get to be on the mound during a postseason that they lost. I get it. Yeah, I get absolutely. that he's upset. He's got a big contract, and he wants to. He's getting paid to pitch, and he didn't yeah. pitch. Yeah. All right, last thing here, which is, and I know you wrote a piece about this uh, that I just read this morning, which is we've lived through this. We have. <laughs> we've lived through this. If you're a Philadelphia, if you're an old-school Philadelphia fan, you grew up in, with, you know, 1964 is your first one. Uh, there was the Leon Stickle thing in 1980. There's, I mean, the list is forever with yep. all four franchises. No no city has lost as many Game 7s as Philadelphia. Welcome to the club, Phillies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the heartbreak and the names and Howard just did the, you know, the yep. show that's like, remember this one, remember that one. I get it. I, and, uh, and, and, and I guess my, my question for you and for the audience is, I don't need to know the worst and so on, but where does this rank among those disappointments and how long will this one sting? I think it'll sting a while because of the timing of it. I think to a certain degree, we thought, and again, you and I had spoken about this, we thought we were kind of past this in Philadelphia where there was this new era of good feelings. Yeah. Citizens Bank yeah. Park had become this place that was just joyful and loud, and the Eagles are in the midst of a really good run. And then losing, having the Phillies lose Game 7 kind of takes this little bit of Philly history in the last year and really turns it into something different, right? Now, all of a sudden, the Phillies lose the 2022 World Series after being up two games to one. And the Eagles lose the Super Bowl after being up 10 points at halftime. And the Sixers lose to the Celtics after being up three games to two. And now the Phillies blow a two games to none and three games to two lead to a lesser team. See a pattern here. Yeah. It's a lot of runway and no takeoff. And people are starting to understand. Younger generations, and Ben, Kenny, our producer, I think gets what I'm talking about here, like, so those of us who are old enough have lived through stuff like this before. We've seen worse. Yeah, our height is pretty thick. But the younger generation really hasn't. Ben, how did this sting for you? Uh, still how old does. are you, Ben? How old are you? I'm 25. Okay. How'd still stings. Mm -hmm. I haven't gotten over it. I did not watch the World Series last night. Mm -hmm. I don't plan to watch it. Um, you, you are not alone there, I think. It's, it's the worst loss I've endured. You can compare it to yeah. the other ones, but in 20 Well, you were too young. I don't know the last one that you— Well, the, the Super Bowl would be the other one for but you. But the Super Bowl they lost to, we can accept, as a really great team and a great head coach and a great quarterback. You go back to 2011, that team had already won. So yeah. I had seen them get to the point. It's like this team, after everything that happened last year, this was the year for it to get done. They are likable from top to bottom. It just like it was not supposed to end the way it did. Uh, it's a great point. So 2008, when the Phillies won it, you were what eight, nine, ten years old. Whatever. Ten. Ten. Yeah. So he barely remembers that the Super Bowl. You remember the Eagles winning the Super Bowl five years ago, yeah. and so oh. that you live that you got yeah. that in yep. your pocket. Yeah, this was a tough one for people. It really was. All right, here's the deal. Um, 
We're going to take some calls on this. We're going to get into the Eagles right away. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to discuss our stupid football bet. Got the stupid football bet coming up. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jeremiah Trotter, that uh, great Eagle who is going into the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame, is going to join us at 11. Matt Breen, the excellent baseball writer of the Inquirer, is going to join us at noon. And we're looking forward to talking to you all day. 215-592-9494. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame... You deserve this ice-cold reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Mike Sielski, Glenn Macnow. Grab a couple calls, then we're going to get the Eagles into the talk. Let's uh, start with Nick in Collegeville. What's going on, Nick? Gentlemen, how are we doing? Good. Doing Good well, morning. Nick. Morning. Like your producer and like an old partner of yours used to say, I'm aggressively disinterested yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> in yeah. the World Series. Yeah. I, I think most of America like, is, Nick. Yeah. Yeah. I was on the couch last night. I was getting around game time. I was like, man, the Phillies haven't played in a couple of days. And I'm like, oh, it's freaking Friday. I go to series starts tonight. So I went, you know what? I'm watching the gold on Paramount Plus. Okay. Uh, I'm like, the British crime. Series. How is that? Like, yeah, I can't. Oh, it's fantastic. It's great. You're going to love it. You should check it out. All right, it's thanks. The, yeah, yeah. It's about the bank heist or the, no, the, the airport gold heist. I love a heist. Oh, I love a heist yeah. show, a heist movie. I'm going to recommend yeah, one later on today. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now, Topper, look, I love what he's done the last 18 months. I, mean, I think he's achieved more than any other manager, except for the World Series, the managers that won for the Phillies. But in 18 months, he, he got us to the World Series and deep in the playoffs. But, like, it's easy to, you know, he turns into Capper when it comes to the postseason. Like, it's easy to run out of relievers, you said. Uh, Glenn, because he, he, he pulls the trigger. Like, he learned from last year, like, not to pull the trigger that early in the starters, but he still did it again. He still, I, and you know that, what? I, think, of- I think this is a good point. I think he took Sanchez out earlier than he should have, and I think he takes Ranger out earlier than he should have. Exactly. Yeah. I and agree. here's my um my Taiwan, Taiwan thing. Like, I love – that was a great – that's the best thing I loved from Topper this, this postseason, the way he handled that. Remember what happened with the Nick fiasco? Not Nick, but uh, AJ Brown and, yeah. and Nick. And, yep. Yeah. Like, like Nick was trying to go. Oh, I don't know what you guys are talking about, dude. Like, you know everything's on camera. You know, and you know how rabid we are on social media and watching the Eagles. So, Topper did it perfect. He's like, 
I know. I read it. He's a great guy. I love the guy. I'm not worried about it. Like, just Ooh. hit him in the mouth, and they can't respond. Forthcoming. When you start playing stupid. Thank you, Nick. Pr- appreciate it. Being forthcoming, Mike, is a radical. I know. I know. It's not insulting people's intelligence is it's generally a good way to go. And I think Nick made a great point contrasting the way Thompson handled that with the way Nick Sirianni handled the A.J. Brown thing. I actually called Nick out for that. Yes, you did. In the aftermath of it because everybody saw it. So don't try to tell us it didn't happen. Just be frank about it, as frank about it as you can. It was his Sergeant Schultz moment. It was. It's nothing. I know nothing. Uh, let's talk to – I'm sorry, I'm having problems with my – That's all right. Here, we got, got uh, Rick, I got him. Rick in South Carolina. Yeah. Hey, Rick. Hey, how you doing, guys? All right. Hi, Rick. I, um, uh, Todd Zalecki had a great uh, column about the chase rate. He said that during the regular season up to game two of the NLCS, they had a 31% chase rate. Game three through seven, they had a 36% chase rate. <clears throat> and then three players specifically had a 50% chase rate, Castellanos, Turner, and Rojas. So <clears throat> my question is, does Kevin Long have a conversation during the series when this is happening? I would think he does, Rick. Uh, clearly, Dave Dombrowski, based on what he said yesterday, was aware of it. It was, a, it was an issue that they were seemingly trying to address, but the difference between talking about it and having your players actually executed in the moment might be two different things. You can talk to Nick Castellanos all you want about don't chase the ball out of the strike zone, but once Nick Castellanos gets up there, you're kind of left to what he's going to swing at. Yep. And I think he and Turner really were pressing. Turner admitted it afterwards. And part of this is who Nick Castellanos is. He, when he goes bad... You could toss the ball up there underhand, and he's not going to hit. Cold is cold. All right, I'm going to make a quick transition here. We'll stick with baseball. We'll take your calls on that. Phillies are obviously a huge topic, but don't want to go all day without getting the Eagles in. And this is a, it's a good intro into the topic today, which is our stupid football bet, which is most people know by now. It's the sacks race. You yes. have Hassan Reddick for the season. I have every player from Georgia. Mike, I'm going to take you back okay. against the Dolphins. 50 seconds to go in this second quarter. Miami at the Eagles 25, second and six. <laughs> Two is going to get the ball. <clears throat> Never mind that the next play was a touchdown pass. Right. <laughs> to take it from 17 to 3 to 17 to 10. Irrelevant. Eagles won the game. Does not matter. Doesn't matter. Here, I got my sack. The kid, the rookie, got on the score sheet for the first time. Nolan Smith in the lineup. Mm -hmm. Let's review the score. Okay. Uh, In the stupid football bet, Hassan Reddick has five and a half sacks. He does. Pretty darn good. He's coming like a freight train. Right? Yeah. 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 He he did not have a sack this game, but he played very well. He was terrific against the run. A couple tackles for losses. And in coverage a little bit. He did have a very good game. Didn't get on your score sheet, but had a very good game. The Georgia boys. Yeah. Jalen Carter, 3.5. Mm-hmm. Jordan Davis, 2.5. May not play this week. Yeah. A little concerned about that. He's got, he's got an ankle, right? Yep. Yeah. Nolan Smith, one with a bullet. Moving <laughs> up. I lead seven to five and a half after seven games. This bet's going to be a barn burner. It is, and I feel good about my guy. I feel like Hassan Reddick is fully recovered from the hand injury he had earlier this season, the thumb Really hampered him. He didn't want to say that it was hampering him, but it was. 
And now that he's back to full strength, he has been a beast over the last three or four weeks. Uh, I think this this bet is going to go down to the wire. I and do, too. What, and what makes it really interesting, obviously, this week, given that the Eagles are playing the Commanders tomorrow, <laughs> is that the Commanders have allowed more sacks than any team in the NFL. 40. 40. Yeah. They're on pace to give up, like, 100, 100 which yeah. is what the Eagles gave up in Buddy Ryan and Randall Cunningham's yeah. first season. Yeah, David Carr kind of situation with yeah. uh, Houston. Yeah, so the, the 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 point is the Eagles can – they can rush the quarterback. They got 24 sacks in seven games. It's not like last year when they right. ended up with 70-whatever, but they're getting pressure. They're getting pressure from those tackles. Yes. Which is I think is a good thing. Josh Sweat is on pace for double digits. Reddick, your guy, you know, he's, mm-hmm. he's really moving up. Tomorrow, I'm going to put the over-under – Wow. Five and a half. Here's the only caveat, Glenn. We thought that was going to happen the first time they played the I Commanders know. this That's season. That's why I think it's going to happen. And Sam Howell danced out of trouble all day and got the Commanders into overtime. And if Ron Rivera had any guts, they would they might have won that game. I don't understand why he didn't go for two, but yes, correct. So, it look, the Eagles, for whatever reason, tend to play better against Washington at FedEx Field than they do at home. Yep. I'm not sure why that is. Uh, but I, I'm with you. I think you're going to see Sam Howell go down – Quite a bit tomorrow. I do too, and I think our bet's going to have some interesting developments as it has already. Let's get John from Phoenixville before the break. Hello, John. Hey, good morning. Uh, it's the first uh, I've uh, considered talking about baseball or hearing about baseball since. Yeah, I know. Uh, Hurts. It's yeah, it really does, and I think you know the expectations were there. It's disappointing. I agree with. I don't know what you call swing and miss rate, but you could just see. The last couple games, they went up there without any plan at at the plate. And Thompson, to me, when you don't pinch hit for Rojas with the bases loaded, two out, you know, I think it was the bottom of the fourth, bottom of the fifth. You know, that to me was where, you know, I think we were up by one. That's where you, you go for the kill. And, you know, when Carroll's two for two and there's a runner in scoring position and a base open and you don't put them on, that to me was, you know, and then he singles and, you know, they go ahead and, and that's ballgame. And I really think the earlier caller said, you know, Thompson, you know, doesn't really come through in the postseason. You're starting to see that. That earlier Phillies team lost the World Series, lost the NLCS, lost the division. And I don't want to see that right, So uh, okay. we got to cut to the bottom line, which is if you don't like Rob Thompson's managing in the postseason, would you replace Rob Thompson? Yes, I would. And Ooh. I would also replace Doug. I'm a, I'm a no. No. I, I would. I, I would. Okay. There's a reason why he was uh, a bench coach for all those years. Uh, and Stubbs needs to learn to keep his mouth shut, and we need to upgrade <laughs> that position anyway. I agree you don't with, go, the, with the Stubbs yeah, needs to yeah. keep his mouth without Listen. Yeah. After, just bad karma. Just after bad karma. They, did, they went through what they went through with Arcia in Atlanta. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? No. You don't poke the bear. You, you don't give a team, an opponent, a reason to get emotionally sharp, you know, and that's what Stubbs did by saying what he said. As far as Rob Thompson, I'm not firing Rob Thompson. No. Like, no, if you are counting on Johan Rojas to get a base hit to get you to the World Series, there are bigger issues there. Now, should he have pinched it for Rojas? Of course he should have. I think he should have. But 
there were other things that had a gr- far greater effect on the series. I have than some issues that. with with how Rob Thompson. I have issues with some of his decisions, which is what anybody's going to have with a manager. I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, no. as they say. He's good. He's a smart manager. He's good for the clubhouse. I, I don't just get rid of him. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Top of the hour. Jeremiah Trotter is going to join us. We'll talk some Eagles. Trot, by the way, getting into the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame. That banquet coming up. We'll tell you about that. <coughs> Excuse me. I had the chance to catch up with the great people from Meridian Bank recently, along with uh, some of their business banking customers. Really interesting conversations because over the years, I've met a lot of business owners who work with Meridian every single time. I'm just blown away with how highly these these people speak of Meridian Bank and that relationship. Listen, I know that because I have a business relationship with Meridian And it is no surprise that they are the preferred bank of businesses and entrepreneurs. Meridian itself, they're entrepreneurial. They know how to listen to great ideas. They understand innovative thinking, and that is so important. You should learn how Meridian Bank can help your business succeed. Go to meridianbanker.com. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack. Now, Saturday morning, 94 WIP. We've got so much ground to cover and uh, so little time, and we want to get your calls. But I want to get something that happened this week that really didn't get enough attention, which is the Eagles made a trade. I think it's a pretty significant trade for their chances this year, Mike. I, I think it's a really good trade. It's another indication of Howie Roseman playing a game that most other NFL general managers aren't playing. You get Kevin Byard, who is a two-time Pro Bowl safety, Philadelphia native, terrific guy in the locker room. He spoke the other day right after the trade was made, uh, a leader kind of a guy. You don't need him to be Brian Dawkins or Wes Hopkins or anybody like that. You just need him to be someone who can solidify the back end of the defense. And this is the thing that Howie does year after year. If there's a hole that the Eagles have, he plugs it. And it's just, it was a really smart move. You didn't have to give up much to get him. You gave up like, what, a fourth and a fifth? Yeah. You know, and this is. And this is why he. How does he get away with it? This is why he towards draft picks is so that he can make a move like this, get as many fourth and fifth round picks as you possibly can and use them as capital to be able to go get A.J. Brown or go get Kevin Byard when you need to. If I were the Titans and Howie's cell phone number came up on my caller ID, I would throw the phone away because, you know, he's just pilfered from them twice now. Yeah, and it's, listen, if the Eagles had a weak spot going ahead this season, it's the secondary, specifically the safety position. They've had a lot of injuries here. They weren't really uh, deep going in. Now, it, look, Blankenship should be back this week. Mm-hmm. I think Bayard just kind of steps right into the lineup. This guy, by the way, he has played more play. this is good and bad, he's played more plays in the NFL than any other player in the league over the last four years, like 99% of the mm-hmm. plays. On the one hand, it's like he's durable. On the other hand, it's like I hope it's not like about to break down. But let's let's go with the durable part. Uh, as you said, he's a local kid, so I think he's going to be comfortable coming back here. Um, I think it's. I hope it's kind of like the Chauncey Gardner move last year. Yeah, took him a couple weeks to kind of adapt, and then he was a very valuable player right up to that Super Bowl. And I think this kid Bayard, I think it's a great addition. I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Look, it's really smart. It was interesting. I saw an interview this week uh, that Thomas Dimitrov, who was the general manager of the Atlanta Falcons, did. And he talked about Howie and how he's kind of risen to the top of the profession. And he told an interesting story about when when Howie was first starting out as a general manager, he would want to get a second-round pick back in every trade that he proposed. And. And Dimitrov said something like, Howie, like, you know, 
we're, we're talking about trading six-round picks here. Like, we're not, you're not going to get a second-round pick. It doesn't yeah. work that way. But it does give you an insight into how he approaches these things and how aggressive he is and how it can pay off. That's great. It's really a good move. Uh, Anthony wants to talk about that move, as a matter of fact. What do you think, Anthony? Hey, yeah, absolutely. I think I was pretty pretty bombed at the end of last year when uh, – when obviously with the Eagles losing, but really when they let CJ TJ Walker, they couldn't get the yep. get a deal done. Yeah, and uh, I think we've seen it in our secondary, kind of a little bit of a lack of physicality and definitely a lack of a ball hawk back there. And now, now that we added Byard, I don't. I'm trying to contain myself, but it seems like that that could be an ingredient that that might have been missing that we can make another deep playoff run. Yeah, Anthony, I I think the importance of it. Um, is, you know, their their defensive philosophy to a large degree is go get the quarterback, okay? You don't necessarily need to have, um, as you said, a ball-hawking safety. What you need to do is have smart players in the secondary who can cover and give a, an opposing quarterback pause as much as anything. Like, obviously, you want Darius Slay and James Bradbury to intercept passes. Slay made a huge play last week in that Dolphins game. But more than anything, you want guys who know where they're supposed to be and are in those spots because the whole premise of the defense is disrupt the quarterback. And if the quarterback is dropping back and not seeing anybody open initially, then that gives Jalen Carter and Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat and all those guys more time to get to him. Yeah, absolutely. I think a really good idea. But uh, the trade deadline is – it's Halloween, right? Yes. Do you foresee any other moves by the Eagles? I I mean, it's always possible with Howie. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the Bayard move is a pretty big move. I want to just get in one point here. And I will have the opportunity to directly argue this tomorrow when I do the pregame show with Hugh Douglas and Joe Giglio, who endorsed this move, which I think is inanely stupid, <laughs> which is the idea of trading for Derrick Henry. Yeah. Okay, no. so I'm I'm ripping those guys in advance of the opportunity to confront <laughs> them about this tomorrow. Um, there, there's a sense that the the Titans will trade Derrick Henry because the Titans they're well they're cooked as we yes. just saw. Um, a couple things. Okay, Th- there's no sense for the Eagles to add somebody like that who needs the ball 15, 20 times a game. Right. What are you going to do with that? Second of all, you know what the Eagles don't need a short yardage guy because. As you wrote this week, and we've talked to Nick about, Tush Push works every time. Every time. What in the world do they need a short yardage guy? Yeah, you don't have to turn around and hand the ball off on third and one. You can run the Tush Push. And your point about him being a guy who has to get the ball 15 to 20 times is right on the money. The Eagles don't want to run the ball. They can. They're great at it. They don't want to do it. Yeah. I wish people would listen to us when we tell them that. Right. They want to throw the ball. I know. Well, I don't always like it I know but but, that's, but I but I know that's what they do and and by the way you bring him in I'm not the biggest Kenny Gainwell fan in the world but you bring him in so Swift gets fewer carries right Gainwell gets no carries mm-hmm. Boston Scott gets to return a punt a game like, I, I don't it's not what it's not what they need no it's not it's and, and I know the logic or the argument that oh well adding a good player to the Eagles only helps the Eagles but it's kind of pointless yeah and no, they don't need to do it. They just don't need to do it. Be interesting. So the Titans play Baltimore tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how much he, they use him. Right. Because if I'm the Titans, it's like, Derek, you watch this game. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, look. Fantasy football tip right there. Uh, I don't play fantasy football. 
I don't play tennis. Not only do you not play it, obviously you, you I have, have open no, disdain yes, for it. Obviously, <laughs> yes. with with that, that that sound effect you made, we know how you feel about it. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Well, that's fine. All right, we're gonna take a quick break here uh, because I want to have time. Uh, to come back, we're going. Oh, you know what? One thing before the break. I'm sorry. I'll take a quick break in a second. Just want to praise one guy. Zach Hill is being honored yes. by the Flyers today. Uh, they are naming the press room after Zach down mm-hmm. at the Wells Fargo Center. I know uh, our callers, our listeners, I don't know all familiar with Zach. Some of you are. Zach was the PR guy for the Flyers for years and years and years. And I just will say, and then you can say what you think, Mike. I've been in this business in this town for 35 years. And there is not a finer, more able, more helpful PR person that I have ever worked uh, with than Zach Hill. Aces, the best. Enjoy your retirement. Love you, Zach Hill. Uh, I co-sign everything you just said. And one of the points I would make very quickly is that Zach understood the importance of having Media who were not affiliated with the Flyers cover the Flyers and have their say about it. Uh, He saw it as a way of being beneficial to the Flyers. It was certainly beneficial to those of us who have covered the Flyers over time. Very much appreciated that about him. Uh, So best wishes to Zach. Absolutely the best. 215-592-9494. Coming up, talk to Jeremiah Trotter, one of my favorite people right here on 94WIP. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack now, Saturday morning, 94 WIP. One of my favorite people from the time I moved to town. Well, he came a little bit after that. But one of my favorite players during all my years here was Jeremiah Trotter, four-time pro bowler with the Eagles between 1998-2009. He is being inducted into the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame this Thursday, November 2nd. Fellow inductees include Bernard Hopkins, Bill Who? Giles. Never heard of him. Carlos Ruiz, Jay Wright, a whole lot more. It starts this Thursday at 5 o'clock. Live Philly Casino, 900 Packer Avenue in Philadelphia, across from Citizens Bank Park. For tickets, go to philadelphiasportshalloffame.org. First of all, congratulations, a young man. Hey, appreciate it. Glenn, how you doing, man? Doing great. Good for you. Nice to hear it. Um, and we'll talk more about that uh, a little bit. The other thing I want to get to before we get to the other thing I want to get to is you are, I believe, today down in North Carolina because you're going to watch who play some football? Yes, I'm um, in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, getting ready to watch Junior play. They get they play in NC State uh, today. 48 tackles in five games for Clemson junior year, and we've already got them on the Eagles' depth chart. <laughs> what, <laughs> two years from now, right? Another Trotter? Wouldn't be, I would like to see Trotter yeah. Jr. He could wear your number, right? Actually, one year from now, he'll be. He'll, oh. he'll, he'll be. It should be. He'll be as with this. He has with this year. We're ready. Does he yeah. carry a smaller axe, Trot? Yeah, he, he, he's actually bigger than mine right now. Mine's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, my axe been. Uh, he's got spider webs, dust on his man. It's. Uh, <laughs> hasn't got much use lately. <laughs> so I, I wanted to ask you about. The present Eagles defense. I know you follow the team okay. pretty closely. You know, when you were here, you guys had a ton of talent defensively. It was you, it was Troy Vincent, it was Brian Dawkins, it was Hugh Douglas, and it was Jim Johnson orchestrating the whole thing. And right. now you've got an Eagles defense that I think in some ways is similar. They're coming off a game where that was clearly their best performance of the season against a high-powered Dolphins offense. Mm-hmm. What do you like about the defense, and, and how good do you think it can be? <clears throat> Man, I, I think they can be really good. Um, I really like their their front four. 
And then you got um, a couple of guys rotating in with them. They got plenty of depth. Brandon Graham, obviously veteran, Super Bowl champion, uh, coming in. Uh, that 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 six man rotation they got, man, is is um, six or seven. You know, I think they're one of the best in the league, mm-hmm. right? You got some young linebackers that are coming along. You got Nicobe. He's still young. I know he's battling some injuries, but once he gets healthy and he can just get playing time, he's going to continue to get better. Um, you know, I like the corners. They just up, they just upgraded the safety position. So I, I love the moves they're making. And their defense that reminds me a little bit of the Giants defense when they won the Super Bowl against New England. They could get wow. to the quarterback. They could get to the quarterback with the front four. And anytime you can get to the quarterback with the front four and you can stop the run, you got the big defensive tackles inside and you allow your linebackers to kind of run and make tackles, man, you can play with anybody. You can go deep into the playoffs. We already know their offense can score points, but they built the defense from the inside out. Um, you got the big tackles in there. They're stuffing the run inside, and which reminds me a little bit of the Baltimore defense back in the day with Ray Lewis. But the Giants' defense as far as defensive ends and just being able to get to the quarterback um, on third down without having to blitz so much. So um, I think those guys can, can can be as good as they want to be. You know, you have a young coordinator, but he's I think he's going to continue to get better each and every game. Specifically, I want to ask you about Jalen Carter, the kid who's the rookie uh-huh. who, by a lot of accounts, is already one of the most dominant defensive tackles in the NFL as a rookie, a game-breaker, a game breaker. When you look at him, what is it that you see? Man, first of all, boy, I'm so glad he fell to us. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm not the only one, but man, I'm excited about this guy. Um I see a guy that's very explosive. Uh he reminds me of, of a bigger um Aaron Donald. Uh, he's very explosive, great with his hands, his first step, he's quick, he can play the run. Um, I mean, he beats double teams. A lot of times you get guys that can beat one-on-ones, which is what they're supposed to do. But this guy can beat double teams. He's just so explosive and just have a great feel for the game. And and he's just going to continue to get better, you know. So um, I, I, I see him as a perennial pro bowler. And like I said, you know, I don't want to go any further than that, you know, put too much pressure on sure. the kid. Mm-hmm. But um, – you know, he has all the talent that you want to to one day potential, you know, to put on a gold jacket if you want to. Wow. Wow. That, that was, a lot of stuff a lot of stuff has to happen for that to, to happen, but he has I mean, you guys see him play. I mean he is he's dominant. Yeah, I'm just dominated. amazed I'm amazed that as a rookie he has as many tricks in his arsenal as he has. Oh yeah. He I mean he man, he, listen. And just how how he just moved guys. I mean, these guys he's going against an NFL player. They're starters in the NFL. Yeah, they're some of the best in the world. And he moves some of those guys like their their kids, you know. And um, it's just he's just fun to watch. He's fun to watch. I mean, and he can do it all. It's not just the pass. He, he he's an every down D lineman. Um, you know, he seems like he's in great shape. So I'm excited just to watch him. Watch him play, Nicobe, uh, all those guys. I mean, Sweat, man, Sweat is having an, an awesome year. I saw a stat the other day 
his, they they put his stats up against T.J. Watt and uh, Michael Parsons, and his his stats are comparable to theirs right now at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and um, you know, obviously they have the bigger names, but he's putting up some big numbers right now. We're talking to Jeremiah Trotter, former Eagles linebacker, about to be inducted into the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame this week. Trot, I, I'm curious your perspective on the position of linebacker. Obviously, you played it. You played it at the the highest possible level. But even going back to the time that you were with the Eagles, there was a debate around here about, you know, how much do the Eagles value the position, uh, all of that kind of stuff. And that, that debate around the league, it seems to me, has only gotten more intense in the years since where linebacker seems to be a position that certain teams just say, you know what, we can kind of put a guy there as opposed to, trying to find somebody like a Jeremiah Trotter or, I don't know, a Brian Urlacher or somebody like that. What's your take, I guess, on the way the position is looked at in modern football now? Well, everyone has um, their taste. You know, uh, certain foods I don't like. I don't like avocados. Um, Oh, I'll eat eat yours. Not not avocado. I don't like olives. Me neither, man. Me neither. I'm with you. I hate celery, you know, but everybody has their taste. Everybody has their plan on how they want to build their team. And the Eagles have typically, um, as long as I've known, they built from the inside out. Office alignment, defense alignment, cornerbacks position. Obviously, I'm not going to even say quarterback because everybody needs a quarterback. But the Eagles have typically built from the inside out. as defense alignment, office alignment, and then a cornerback position. So a lot of people have – different positions that they focus on. You know, you look at uh, Pittsburgh, they're known for linebackers, and they'll draft a linebacker in the first round in the heartbeat. You look at Baltimore, they'll draft a linebacker in the first round in the heartbeat. Um, you know, Tampa, they they recently they, they've invested a lot of money in their linebacker position. Jacksonville, you know, uh, Mike Caldwell, one of my good buddies, was, was at Tampa Bay, and uh, now he's at Jacksonville. They invest money. They took a linebacker a couple of years ago in the first round. So it just depends on the team. It depends on their taste, what they want, how they want to build their system, how they want to run their system. You know, it, everybody's different, man. I mean, you know, you, you can't say one way is better than the other. You know, it, it's kind of what you like. Yeah. And by the way, uh, for the record, I like olives. Um, <laughs> nobody's perfect. I want to ask you this, and I've been you're exactly the guy to ask this question. The, okay. the tush push, the brotherly shove, is right. a tremendously successful play for this team. Were they 41 right. for 44 on it, I yes. think? Right. And they're not doing it from two yards. They're, they're, they're expanding it out a little bit. They're, they're like Steph Curry at the free throw line with this. Back, yes. It's amazing. Okay. Back in, on the defense that you played for, that Bud Carson defense, right? Uh-huh. With you specifically at middle linebacker, lined up right across from that. <laughs> would you guys do you do you have confidence that you guys would have been able to defend that or do you think it's just so unstoppable that even that defense would not be able to to handle this no no you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to stop it um just because Ooh, one wow. they one they have one of the best offensive linemen in the league one offensive lines in the league and we've seen other teams try to uh duplicate it and they just can't do it so the eagles have one of the best offensive lines in the league and they have one of the biggest, you know. 
And you have a quarterback that's, I think they say squats over 600 pounds, right? So he's pushing. Yeah. Then the way they run it, they have two guys behind the quarterback pushing on both cheeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you have the tight end and maybe a receiver or running back pushing on both cheeks. So the offensive lineman's job, they get so low because their job is to take out the legs of the defensive lineman. Mm-hmm. Once you take out the legs of the defensive lineman, they have nothing to push with. And then the linebackers, uh, when they push Jalen over the top, he's really just riding the wave over the top of the defensive lineman and offensive lineman. So they protect, uh, perfected it. Um, man, they – I mean, I think they're 100% right now, aren't they? It's yeah, a, yeah. It, it is, it's it's great, and it's I uh, listen. I like I love that it's fun to watch, and as a guy who played here, I know you would appreciate. I oh. love that it annoys everybody else. That it's our thing, and it bothers. It's not a football player. I love that it bothers other teams. I I think the only way you can stop it is you have to have linebackers, two or three linebackers behind the defensive lineman. Instead of jumping over the top, they have to push the defensive lineman. The problem with that is the quarterback can just take a snap and run outside. Yeah, right, <laughs> you know exactly. I lo- I, listen, I love it. All right, one more quick thing, which is Eagles made a trade this week, picked up a uh, a safety, which seemed to be right. something they really needed. Do you know much about this Bayard kid? How do you feel about it? I don't know a lot about it. I know he was um, a pro bowler last year, right? Yeah, yes. And, you know, so I think <laughs> that says enough. He's a pro bowl safety. Hopefully he can bring that. That, that that Pro Bowl talent to, to our secondary, and it's going to take you know a few weeks to kind of learn the system, get 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 accustomed to the defense. But um, you know, I, I've heard of him, I've seen him play, but I, I I'd be lying to you if I tried yeah. to okay. you know. Right. You know well, listen, Jeremiah Trotter is getting into. By the way, how does it feel getting into the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame? Let me ask you that. Man, it it, it feels great. I mean, <clears throat> when I first learned about it. I was going through a, a major uh, personal battle. Yeah. And uh, so I really didn't have All time. blessings re- to you, by the way. I know. I pre- appreciate it, man. Yeah. I really wasn't focused on it at the time. But as time has went by, I've gotten more and more excited about it. And um, so within the, for a year that's been filled with a lot of ups and downs, this is, this is definitely a, a bright spot in this year for me. So I'm excited. Well, it's going to be a great event this Thursday. By the way, they're bringing back uh, they've invited back to the 20th anniversary yep. of the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame. They've invited back a lot of past inductees. So here's the people who are going to be standing and applauding you, Trot. Harold Carmichael, Ron Jaworski, Bill Berge, Mike Quick, Bill Bradley, Bob Boone, Bernie Perrant, Bill Barber, Eric Lindros, Mark Recchi, Wally Jones, Sonny Hill, Ray Dinger, Merrill Reese. He's, it's going to be a nice turnout, man. Yeah, man. It's going to be a uh... We're getting the gang back together. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. That's By the right. way, our own Joe DeCamera is the MC for that. Oh, that's wonderful. And I've seen Joe is very good at that. He's a very good yeah. MC. That's uh, my guy right there. Absolutely. It's going to be at uh, Live Philly Casino, 900 Packer Avenue, right across from Citizen Bank Park. Yep. Starts at 5 o'clock this Thursday. For tickets, go to phillysportshalloffame.org. Congratulations to you, and may your son have double-digit tackles today. I appreciate it. Thank hey, man, you. Thank be you, well. Trot. We'll talk to you soon. Right, you guys have a good one. Uh, thanks so much. Greatest guy. I just, I, I love him. He's a great guy. He, he was a blast to cover. Yeah. I mean, it was it was really fun to be around those teams at that time with guys like him and Hugh and Brian Dawkins and Troy Vincent, Bobby Taylor, especially in the defense at that time. There were so yeah, many. a lot of personality. Personality, smart guys, you know, who would sit down and talk to you about 
all right, here's what we're trying to do defensively and all this kind of stuff. It was an education to be around those guys. So I am surprised that his answer of how could your team stop the tush push is we couldn't. You couldn't. Because he was the guy. You remember, I, I know it was more of a run blitz than anything, but he would like hop over the center and cause havoc yep. two or three times a game. Yeah, and, and he, him saying that there's nothing that a defense of that caliber could do yeah. That's telling. Yeah. That's really telling. But other teams can't run it. Other teams no, they're try. trying. That's right. They're trying, and they can't do it. This is our thing. <laughs> I just, I, I do chuckle. I, I mean, I'm, I, I try very hard, and again, we've talked about this before. I try very hard not to be a homer when it comes to the teams that I cover yeah, and talk well, about. Yeah, you have a slightly different job than right. I do. Right. But it, is, it does amuse me to see so many people from outside of Philadelphia go, this play should be banned. This is not football. Like, Whining about rugby it. play. If, if the Patriots were running it, if the Cowboys were running it, okay, try to stop it. Like, do your best. Like, don't immediately go ban it. I, I just, I, I, I chuckle at all of that. I love it. it. Just comes off as one. I love it. Let's get to Warren in Gwinnett Valley. Warren, a long time. What's up, Glenn? Mike, thank you very much for taking your call. Sure. And uh, I hope you have a moment to hear my point of view, and you're not so quick to That's cut why me we're off here. We, we, lay it on I, us, Warren. What you got? I, I really want to talk about Rob Thompson and why I don't think he should be the manager um, after this year, uh, based on the past two years that we've had. Okay. And there, there's two things I want to I want to bring up, and one is the on the field, and one is the off the field. Rob Thompson, the way he treats the players, um, and I think he's too friendly with them, and I think part of that is a reason why I don't want him to come back is because he is a lovable person and first let me say he is a terrific person he's a wonderful uh coach i, I, I gotta get he's in we're not cutting you off city. Uh, hold on we're not cutting you off but i gotta get in what you don't necessarily see and we don't necessarily see is when he's got a guy in the manager's office and closes the door we don't know about that we don't know how lovable he is at that moment I'll give you that, but the the perspective, the, the outer perspective is he's he's a wonderful person, he's a good coach, he's, he's put in a tremendous amount of time, you know, throughout you know his baseball career, and I love him for everything that he's done for the city, and up to this point where he's he's tried to take us, you know, to, you know, get us to the World Series to win the World Series. And I love all that about okay. Rob Thompson. All right, Warren, you're but, not you're not making a case for firing the guy. <laughs> you're telling right. us how much you love him. All right, um, I, I think there's a fine line between letting the guys, you know, be themselves, and then I think that there's a point where there was control lost, especially this year, that there was an awful lot of celebrating and hype that they they put themselves before um, the World Series that in their minds that they were going to be the promise team that was going to yeah. you know, get over the top before they actually had the discipline okay. to I, win I the hope series. you got to make your point because we really do have to move All on. Right, but I, I, No, that's okay. I appreciate it. What uh, I will say in that regard is I don't really love that either, that a team wins a wild card round and they act like yes. they, you know, they just discovered, the, the invented the wheel. Mm-hmm. That, that was a bad way that's to right. put it. No, but no. you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I they're acting like really they won excited. the World Series when they win the wild card Except round. it's not unique to them. It, it no. really is, you know, get out the goggles and the champagne and we're all going to go crazy. And, and I, like him, would like to see restraint, but 
that's not just a Phillies. Yeah, and I don't put that necessarily on Rob Thompson. And as we talked about earlier, the demeanor that he projects and that we think he projects internally allows them to perform at a high level throughout the course of the season, it seems to me. Look, Larry Boa is as good a baseball man as there has ever been around the sport of baseball in terms of intelligence, in terms of intensity, in terms of knowing the sport. He's the tops. Part of the reason he didn't experience full success as a manager is this whole work environment thing we're talking about. I, I was around that team when Bo was the manager. Yeah. Guys were walking on eggshells all the time. Yeah. And it did not lead to those Phillies teams being at their best. Well, we have another complaint about Rob Thompson's demeanor, and so let's get it out of the way. Richard in Delaware, you're on the same bandwagon here? Yeah, good morning, gentlemen. Hey. Hi, Richard. Hi. Uh, previous caller took some of my thunder. Um, I, I, uh, it took me a few days to even get up enough nerve to call because I've been in therapy. <laughs> I went to my therapist, and the sign on the door said, Closed. Sorry, I missed you, Philly fans. So I left. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I have one thing to play here. Uh, the immortal coach, Vince Lombardi. <laughs> well played there, well done, uh, Richard. Richard. Well done. I wish that our manager had a little bit of that fire. Now, he's like you say, he's well-liked. He's done a great job of wins and losses, but getting us to the final, final, final game is not working so far. I don't know whether it's a problem. Maybe the hitting coach is not working hard enough. I also understand, I don't know if it's true or not, maybe you can help me, that the players were relaxing by playing ping pong and basketball prior to the games. How about if we set them all up with a tape of the – Pitchers for the D-backs that was getting them, oh. they get, getting uh, them out. Yeah, I think you're you're, you're searching. Yeah, That's good call, but I think you're reaching there. Look, the idea that just because we don't see Rob Thompson dying a thousand deaths all at once in the dugout <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean that he's so relaxed that he doesn't care about winning or losing or getting to the World Series. Um, I I do think this is one of those things, Glenn, where Certain people around here want to see the manager and the players feeling the pain in the same way that they are feeling yeah, the pain. I, and, I, and I understand that. I get it. I, I totally get it. But it, that doesn't mean that Rob Thompson isn't hurting and didn't want to win. And it doesn't mean that this team is not – I don't even know how, how to put this. Well, like, they didn't make the playoffs for 11 straight years before this guy became the manager. He's clearly helping them yeah. make the playoffs. Yeah. How do we feel about ping pong in the in the club? I got no issue with ping pong. No, I don't either. No. Video games? Lo- love ping pong. I, I've not, listen. Fortnite? These, well, well, actually, that was an issue. I know. Back when Gabe was the manager. Right. Because they spent too much time on it. And mm-hmm. there is that balance. And I get it. Good point there, Ben. Um, you know, these young guys. Well, I don't even want to put it that way because that makes me sound like the boomer that I am. But. It's but part of their lives. People now. can get so caught up in yeah. that that they like, you know, hey, study the scouting report. And it was uh, what's his name, Santana. Yes, yeah. uh, took a bat to the TV in there right. and said, no, no more of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and good for him, by the way. But I don't think this is a team that, uh, you know, I, I don't think this is a team that that looks at it that way. And the other thing I'd say, Glenn, is that's the sort of thing that comes out of. 
the players, right? Like you said, Carlos Santana is the one who enforced that. Yeah. Not not to take all the only thing he ever did of value during the time he was here. <laughs> not to take all the responsibility away from the players, but the tone of a clubhouse is generally set by the leaders of the team. Yeah. And Kyle Schorber and Bryce Harper and those guys set a pretty good tone. You know who runs this team? It's it's not Rob Thompson. No. It's not Dave Dombrowski. It's, it's not Joe Middleton. It's Bryce Harper and Bryce Kyle Schwarber. It's, it's Bryce Harper's team. Yeah. 215-592-9494. It cleared the lines. <coughs> Excuse me. You, know, I've been you, haven't, you haven't been able to shake this cough and cold. Four weeks. Wow. Four weeks. I, I've, it'll be four weeks as of next Tuesday. Stay on the other side of the studio, please. <laughs> so, I don't think. They told me I'm not infectious anymore. I'm on, I'm on antibiotics. I'm on steroids. Oh, my gosh. And I cannot ex- get rid of this ex- stupid cold. That explains why you're yelling at me so much during the break. It is the longest I have ever had a cold in my life, and I don't know what to do about it. But anyway, it's getting a little bit better. That's not what I'm trying to talk about. What I'm trying to talk about, if I can get a sentence out, is with the season ending, Thursday night I got back into watching a TV show. Mm-hmm. People rely on us for what we're they watching. Do. They do. I got a great show. Awesome. And we're going to tell you about that. Looking forward to hearing about it. 215, if I can get the words out. <laughs> Two, oh, and I'll tell you about my experience last night going to a, uh, going to a show. Nice. I almost saw it. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski and Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. All right. Well, we, we took a couple weeks off of what we're watching because uh, we were watching baseball every night. We were, yes. Which and was great. It, it was awesome. Yeah. While we had it, and I honestly have been trying to find four and a half hours to spend to watch to go see Killers of the Flower Moon, the yeah. new Martin Scorsese wait, movie. Wait, what do you mean four and a half hours? No, it's three and a half hours. It I'm, is. Yes, the movie itself is three oh, and a half hours. Why do, you do that? Really? Yeah. So you got to right. get there. I do want to see it, but ooh. yeah, you got to get there. You got to sit through a half hour of previews. <laughs> so yeah. you're going to carve out like five the hours of your day. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I do want to see that, but I I have not. Nor did I know. It was that long. Um, I will tell you this about the baseball this year, and I don't know why. My wife, who's never been a sports fan, mm-hmm. it's really one of that actually reasons our relationship works. Same with mine. She could care less about any of it, and so it's like I don't have to go home and like, well, what happened? What the exactly? Like, no, no, nope, no. Nope. She doesn't care. J- Judy and Kate are kindred spirits. Yeah, it's in that great regard. that way. Yeah, uh, but she got into watching the Phillies more with this team than ever, and just fell in love with them. Ah. And she's talking about, like, why are you swinging at that pit? It's like, <laughs> oh, my God, look what we've got. But anyway. Where so, has this been all my life? So with it ending, finally, I decided this week I'm going to get back to a show. And um, I got back to one of my favorites. Now, you, I don't think, have ever watched the show. It's called Lupin. No, L-U-P-I-N. I haven't. L-U-P-I-N. I have not. It is a French show. Uh-huh. Straight. <laughs> Wait, let's do that again. It's a French show. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> streaming on Netflix. Um, this is season three, and there's been a little bit of a long layoff. It's seven episodes now on season three. You got to start with season one. You have to. This is what the show is. Uh, the guy, the lead actor's name, he's a he's a huge star in France. His name is Omar Sy. S Y. Think, think Idris Elba with a beret and a baguette. Okay, because that's that's who he is. I'm picturing Stringer Bell in a beret. <laughs> yes. Well, that's it. He is the gentleman thief. Oh. So he's like part, he's got Robin Hood in him. He's got a little James Bond in him. Season one was a huge global phenomenon during the pandemic. I mean, it was right up there with the Michael Jordan documentary and, and uh, Tiger King. It was yeah. it was a big deal. It was very popular. Season two came out in 2021, which and it was a good sequel. And now 
season three, two years later, comes out. Like, who doesn't love a gentleman's thief? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's got some Ocean's Eleven in it. Oh, I love that. Uh, it's kind of like Money Heist if you watched that show, which I was didn't. that's a good. That was a I very excellent series. Movies, yeah, yeah, well, and. Along the way, every heist becomes more creative and more fun than the last. Mm. His victims are are always the rich and obnoxious. Oh, perfect! Right? Um, you know, it's like the unscrupulous one percent that that deserves it. So there's always the good karma mm-hmm. in that. And there's a there's a great angle where he, the gentleman thief, is inspired by the author Maurice LeBlanc's Gentleman Thief, Arsène Lupin, which is a very popular series in France. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the cops are going studying the books to try to catch up with the criminal mastermind. And it's very clever. There's a, there's a few things. It's in French. Okay. That was my so, first question. Was well, yeah. Subtitles. So yeah. you can either watch the subtitles, which to me became a little problematic because, like, when they start talking fast, like, the subtitles are gone before I can read them. Or you can do in the dubbing, which is, is decent. The dubbing is okay. okay. The voice acting is, is not going to win any Emmys, but it's okay. It's good. Enough. It's credible. Um, there are a lot of time marks going back and forth in time, so you have to pay attention. You can't okay. do what I'm sometimes guilty of, which is watching a show while scrolling on my phone. Right. <laughs> you know, like I know I do that. It's a bad habit. Mm-hmm. This show, if you do that, all of a sudden it's like, well, wait, what, now we're in 2018? What right. happened? Right. So you, you got to pay attention. Okay. Listen, this Lupin has been one of my favorite shows over the last four years. I'm now three episodes into season three of seven. It is not disappointing me at all. If you like a good caper movie, if you like a heist show, this is it, man. He's always one step ahead. Watch Lupin from the beginning of season one. By the way, season one was great. Mm. Great. Won all kinds of awards. It was great. It's just five episodes, season one. So warm up with that. Okay. I think you really like it. If you like good TV, I heartily recommend on Netflix, Lupin, L-U-P-I-N. It strikes me that this is the kind of thing that 20 years ago would have been a very popular movie. Yeah. And they don't make movies like this anymore. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's either superhero Marvel thing or artsy film that's going to win, try to win Academy Awards. Yeah, and and I'll be dozing in the third row. Yeah. Yep, this is. And it's great, and it's fun, and he's a rootable character. And your wife will like it, so okay. watch that. All right, cool. So last night, yeah. went into the city. Ooh, look yeah. at you. Which, by the way, when I was- Being all cosmopolitan. Yeah, well, <laughs> listen, I'm seeing stuff in the city that I don't love these days, yeah. including, I think my wife and I were driving, and we saw a guy try to steal a bike from a uh, delivery guy, and the oh, delivery geez. guy shoved him against a car. Like, you ever go, like, you drive by something, it's like, I think I just saw something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think we, we, like, saw, like, a real incident. Oh, man. Anyway, that's not the point. So we go to the Academy of Arts. My wife's birthday last December, mm-hmm. I bought her tickets to see Steve Martin and Martin Short in concert. Oh. She loves, loves the show Only Murders in the Building. building. So does Kate. So does okay. my wife. I, I do, too. Not quite as much as her, but I, I do. And listen, I've been a fan of Steve Martin forever since Saturday Night Live oh, and gosh. Martin Short and, you know, right, forever. Three Amigos, man. Yeah. It was on cable all the time uh, in 1986. And listen, I go back to Wild and Crazy Guy. Oh, I like, hey, let's get small. Okay, all of that. Yeah. And so these guys in concert was an event. And as soon as tickets went up last December, it was birthdays in December. Mm-hmm. As soon as they went up, it's like that day, it's like I'm getting tickets. Mm-hmm. So you go to the website, right, Academy, and it's like there's no tickets. 
Oh, and it's like the only tickets I could get, it's like one of them obstructed view. Oh. And I'm thinking, well, how bad could that be? They're not going to sell it if it's like really bad. I showed you the photograph you of my view from my seat, which, by the way, nosebleeds. Yeah. Right? Different zip code. I didn't. I I couldn't even see the stage. It was it was like you were behind one of the pillars of a national monument. Yes, it was. Lincoln. I think <laughs> yeah, Lincoln Memorial. Memorial. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it was. Yeah, I heard a good concert. Yeah. Oh. And they were really funny and great, and they had a, a bluegrass band with them that was terrific, and it was a great event. But if you go to the Academy of Music, my advice is, well, I mean, it was the only seat I could get, so that was oh. it. But it was. That's a bummer. It was not perfect. Yeah, and and the the photo. I mean, obviously our listeners can't see the photo, but if no, you could I put it on social media. Oh, you did, okay. Yeah, yeah. So if you go, you go to the, my Twitter account at Real Glenn Macno or my my Facebook okay. account, yeah, it's you it's will see brutal. my view from the seats. There is no view. You might as well have been home. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it though. She saw it. Hey, that's that. It was her did, birthday, right? You did right by what? Judy. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, I did the aisle seat. Yeah, no, that wasn't. Happy that, birthday. That last, yeah. <laughs> Honey. I'll tell you what they look like. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Chris in Pottstown. A little tush-push conversation, Chris. Hey, how you guys doing? All right. Doing awesome, Chris. Uh, I appreciate your recommendation for Lupin. Yes. Uh, well, I was waiting. I, I, I'm going to check that out. Sounds awesome. It's a great um, show. You'll uh, love it. All right. Tush-push. Um, I think it, I think probably the key besides hurts and strength in his leg is Jason Kelsey. I'm very curious to see how good we're at it after he retires, I'm assuming, this year. Because if he's so much shorter than those defensive linemen, I think he's getting under them and taking their knees out. And then, because um, there have been other linebackers from teams that have tried to jump across, and I give Hurts credit. It's like when they come, he just moves to the left or the right. And then I think the rest is history. But I think Jason Kelsey has a lot to do with it. And I'd like your comment about these offsides they're calling against us. Uh, when the the uh, well, I hear now it's Kelsey's hand um, that uh, they're calling it offsides when they're all on our side of the ball. Yeah, look, Chris, and, and thanks, thank you very much for the call. Um, couple things there. Number one, from what I understand, just kind of what I've picked up on and listened to Jason Kelsey talk about the play, it is very demanding on his body and yep. on the offensive lineman's bodies, even more than the average NFL snap mm-hmm. is. So you have to have linemen who are willing to do it uh, for the play to work. That's number one. Uh, I forget the second part of what uh, he was asking about with respect. Oh, well, well what happens when he retires? retires? I don't know what happens when he retires. Um, who I assume Cam Jurgens is going to be the center mm-hmm. after Kelsey retires, but – we have no idea. Talk about well, stepping in at the yeah, end of job. Yeah, I, we have no idea how replacing a legend is, is not an easy thing to do. No, right? We don't know how he's going to do and how that play is going to hold up and so on. But it is no. Kelsey is great. It's all those guys. It's the, the part of that that frustrates me is I think that the overrated part is the push from behind. Yes, that too many critics just look at that and say, "Oh, it's just everybody shoving the quarterback." It's not, as Jeremiah Trotter said, and as we all know. It's the, those offensive linemen, those huge, strong guys getting down low and taking out the feet and the knees of other teams. Right. The defenders have no leverage to push back on. Right. At all. It's the quarterback, the incredibly strong quarterback, who makes that thing work. And the third element, 
is the push. Yes. The third and least important element. It is. It is. Yeah. It's Look, nobody does it the way they do it. Nobody can stop it the way they do it. And what do you do about that? You don't do anything. You let them run the play. That's what you do if you're the NFL. Oh, which reminds me of the second thing the, the caller said, asking about the offsides call. I do think the NFL has told its officials, look, crack down on this. Look at this. I think the NFL is going to ban it eventually, even though they shouldn't. Mm. And I think they have told these officials, keep an eye out for this. this but is it's Kelsey's hand. Yeah, I know. Center can't be offside, can he? I don't think he I can. Don't, I mean, they've called, I, I don't they've called Landon Dickerson for being offside. But incorrectly. Incorrectly, yeah. They see the hand and they think it's him, but it's Kelsey's hand. Yeah. All right, Brendan wants to check in on this as well. What do you think, Brendan? Hey, how's it going? Just a little commentary on the comparison between uh, the push push being a rugby play. That is the most asinine thing. I've played rugby my entire life. <laughs> I really want to ban a rugby play. I love the fact the that we have a rugby guy arguing the, the push. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I'm that's glad. Awesome. I appreciate it. Good addition. Yeah, you ban the option. You ban the lateral. You ban a drop goal. You ban a punt. It's. it's it's just an uninformed, unintelligent commentary. It, it, it just doesn't make sense. If you want to see a rugby game and compare it to football, watch the Rugby World Cup final today at three o'clock. Oh, you got uh, it in there. He did. Well where done, do I, Brendan. Hold on. Where? Let's let's give you your full endorsement. Where do we get to watch this? You get, uh, it's on Peacock. It's, uh, New Zealand versus South Africa. It's going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be a really good game. Three o'clock on Peacock, NBC. Who do we like in that game? Uh, you got to go for the All Blacks, New Zealand. Yeah, the Maoris. <laughs> oh, I watched a rugby movie. Help me on this. I watched a rugby movie like 10 years ago, um, which featured the All Blacks. And um, Yeah, that, that is actually it's, it's a rematch. That was, uh, was Matt that Damon. Invictus. Invictus. Yeah, good yeah, memory, Mike. Yeah. Love that movie. Yeah, it was a great movie. Uh, then the whole Nelson Mandela end of a part. Yeah, 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 yeah. Morgan Freeman was in it too. Yeah, absolutely, I think. Yeah. played Nelson Mandela. There you go. Good casting. Not bad. All right, three o'clock. Right. Peacock. We're in. Thanks, buddy. All right, guys. Have a good day. All right, Thanks, take care. Brandon. Yeah, I mean Jordan Maialata grew up playing rugby. Yes. and he says it's not a rugby play. I'll and take him at his word. I'll take Brendan from Port Richmond. It is. They show what was it recently in one of the games? They showed him old clips of him playing rugby mm-hmm. there. Have you ever seen those things? Yeah, he's like. A foot and a half taller than everybody, just throwing he, guys around. He is the largest human being I've ever been around. Yeah, he really is. I mean, big. bigger, like. Runyon, I remember standing next to Runyon. I remember standing next to Runyon in front of a soda machine, mm-hmm. and John Runyon blocked out the whole soda machine. <laughs> and, and look. And you, I think my lot is, I mean, I know he's bigger. You and I have been around NBA players, right? Yep. Like Joel Embiid is seven foot, different 300 pounds, different kind of big. Yeah. And to, to think that that person is lined up across from you and going to drive all of his <laughs> yes. force into right. you yeah just is so terrifying <laughs> glad we're here exactly yeah exactly i'm glad all i have to do is ask him questions yeah 215-592-9494 mike sealski glenn mack now on 94 wip hey i had a chance to catch up recently with the great people at meridian bank uh, along with some of their business banking customers And I know because over the years, I have met a lot of business owners they work with. Every single time, I am blown away with how highly they speak of Meridian Bank and that relationship. I get it. I have that relationship with Meridian, and I've always been delighted at their service and their creativity because it's not a surprise that the preferred bank of business is entrepreneurs. They're entrepreneurial. They know how to listen. They know great ideas. They understand innovative thinking. Learn how Meridian Bank can help your business succeed at meridianbanker.com. 
I think he's referring to A.J. Brown. Yeah. <laughs> who is, as Jalen Hurts, who uh, threw that pass in the third quarter while wearing a knee brace. Yeah, yeah mystery uh, here. Dr. Mark Pollard, our friend from Cooper Bone and Joint, he joins us now. Doc, we're probably going to ask you to speculate wildly. Are you prepared to do that? I certainly am. There you go. We appreciate it very much, Doctor. So, Jalen Hurts goes in at halftime of the game last Sunday night against the Dolphins, comes back out for the third quarter with a brace on his knee. He says the injury did not happen during that game, that it happened at some point earlier in the season. He will not say when. And neither he nor the Eagles are talking about exactly what this injury is. Dr. Pollard, what could it possibly be? I mean, in all seriousness, is there any way to possibly know what sort of injury Jalen Hurts is dealing with here? Well, of course, it's uh, complete speculation. Um, And uh, I'm ashamed to admit I didn't see exactly what kind of brace or sleeve he was wearing, like if it had hinges or if it was just like a uh, a little compression sleeve or something like that. I think it was closer to the compression sleeve, but I I really don't know. Yeah, I mean, depending on which one would give some – a hint as far as what they think was going on. Uh, you know, if, if it did have hinges on it, then there's the possibility, you know, was this a mild sprain of the MCL or the medial collateral ligament is probably the most common thing that would lead to wearing something with hinges on it. You know, the, the, uh, a mild sprain like a grade one or a grade two where the, you know, the, the fibers of the ligament aren't disrupted. They just get stretched a little bit it's like a mild ankle sprain but of the knee and so a little bit of support would help that and then you know that usually it uh, resolves fairly quickly um if it was just a compression sleeve then you know there exists the possibility was there some swelling going on in the knee that's one of the most common reasons to wear a compression sleeve without mm-hmm. the hinges on it and reasons for swelling in the knee are <laughs> Yeah, very uh, infinite. There's right. a, billion, a, a, <laughs> right. a billion of them. Been there. Uh, most most commonly, you know, even a contusion, just bumping the knee against something, irritating the lining of the knee, can cause it to make a little bit of extra fluid. Um, and so, you know, those to me, those to me would be the most likely suspects, you know, depending on exactly what the what the contraption looked like that he was wearing. Well, we will keep an eye on it, and we uh, will probably get back to you on it because there is nothing more important with this franchise right now than the health of their quarterback. Dr. Mark Pollard, we hope you have a great great weekend. Thank you so much for being our guest, as always. Thanks. Have a great weekend, too. Thank you, care. Well, you wrote a piece on this this week. I did, yeah. Nothing matters more. Nothing matters more, and Jalen Hurts has been injured each of the previous two seasons. Late in the season, he has missed games with injuries. And, yeah, he's going to play Sunday, but this is a thing. This is not nothing that the quarterback is wearing a brace on his left knee eight weeks into the season. And and they're giving you nothing. And they're giving us nothing about it. So I I think there's a little reason to be concerned here uh, and just something to monitor as the season goes along. Because, again, the Eagles want to keep him healthy. I don't think there's been any doubt that Hurts has looked like He's trying to protect himself a little bit more. He's yep. going down a little earlier. He's picked his spots to try to fight for extra yardage. He ha- He's run less often, but it's not a huge difference. Uh, but the Eagles just paid him $255 million. They want to keep him on the field. This is something that bears watching. Yeah, I agree.
uh, and a little concerned. Um, you know what? The, the, the callers, hang in. We're going to get you in the 12 o'clock hour as soon as we can. But I just want to bring up, we got a couple minutes here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk some Sixers in the 12, 12 o'clock hour, but I want to give a couple minutes to the Flyers. Okay. Off to a good start. Um, I, I posted that the other day, and somebody reminded me. I guess they started 7-3-2 and two last year. Yeah. So everybody's <laughs> like, relax. easy. I, I, uh, I get it, but I do kind of like what I see. I like the direction. I think Sanheim looks good. I think mm-hmm. Atkinson looks pretty good. Sean, having Sean well. Couturier back. Yeah, that's helps. nice. I just, you know, you're a hockey guy. What's what's your early take? Yeah, I think impressive based on the expectations, right? Nobody thinks that they're going to make the playoffs. Nobody expected them to be very good. What you want to see are steps forward. What you want to see are young players getting better. Bobby Brink, who's been a prospect for them for a couple of years, had two, two By the goals. Way, I love that name. It's for a great athlete. hockey it's name. It's a great name for an athlete. <laughs> it is. Uh, so... They're going to, I think they're going to outperform whatever one might think they were going to be simply because of John Tortorella pushing them that hard. Yep. Yep. And they're better now for having a healthy Cam Atkinson and a healthy Sean Couturier and with Carter Hart playing the way he is. Yeah, I just, I, I feel like they're climbing out of that horrible hole that they've been on or the, or the hamster treadmill that yeah. they've been on for the last few years. And I at least have hope. That orange and black is going to be relevant and emerge, mm-hmm. and st- you know, I, I, I kind of like the direction. I'm not going to, not going to say they're going to make the playoffs this year, let alone do damage in the playoffs. But it, you know, I, I actually watched some hockey yeah. and like, hey, I, yeah. I remember I like watching the Flyers hockey. Right. It it wasn't embarrassing. It wasn't hard to watch. It was. Yeah, decent. it's a low bar I'm putting out there. Right. But, exactly. You know. Um, it's funny, Glenn. I was speaking uh, last week at a middle school, and one of the kids who I was talking to asked me, what is your favorite sport to cover? And I said, well, the NFL, because it gets the most attention, and it's once a week, and the games really matter. I said, but I can tell you what my favorite sporting event to cover, and the one that I really miss covering is an NHL playoff game. Because oh, yeah. the environment in an yeah. NHL playoff game, it's like being inside a pot of boiling water. It just is. And... That is the one kind of quasi-rooting interest I have in the Flyers getting good again is that I would like to cover playoff hockey because there's nothing better. Yep. Um, all right, two quick things. Okay. Uh, one, uh, while we had the doctor on, I probably should ask him about the uh, cold I've had going on four weeks. <sighs> I mentioned it a little bit earlier because occasionally I can't stifle a cough, which I apologize about on the air. But apparently our, 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 our producer, Ben, started getting calls of various <laughs> methods to cure it. Including one guy said, "What I just need to sack up with that? Was that, <laughs> that was, yeah, that, okay. You know, uh, suck it job. up, Buttercup. <laughs> like I would like would like to know what his strategy is for that. <laughs> just be better. Oh, okay. I think that was the message. Oh uh, well, good. That'll get rid of be my better. cold right away. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. There you go. Yeah, that'll uh, stop the coughing fit. But I I want to I want to drop this little hint, this little nugget, uh, while we're talking about the Flyers. Okay. If you're a Flyer fan. If you're a charitable person, if you want to have a good time, take your phone out right now. Go to the calendar. November 29th. That's the Wednesday after Thanksgiving. I can't tell you too much yet because stuff's going to be announced soon, but there's going to be a terrific charity event coming up that day. It's going to be at uh, Puddler's Kitchen and Tap, which is one of the Conchhocken Brewing Company spots I'm involved with out in Bridgeport on DeKalb. Uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be fun, and it's going to be a little hockey related. 
You know, and I, and I I know I'll see you there. I will be there, and I just had an enjoyable time. Uh, filming a couple episodes of your show, What's Brewing. Yeah, one's coming out tonight. One's coming out to the Halloween episode. Yeah. Where we were joined God, by we had fun. <laughs> Kate Scott yeah. of, you know, the voice of the Sixers. She was, what a great, she's fun. She she was a lot of fun. Uh, and I will just say that uh, my dignity was worth the beer. Well, okay. Uh, the beer so, was worth my dignity. I should put it yeah, that way. Yeah, there you go. So yeah. that's tonight at 11, I think, yes. on NBC after, Sports Philadelphia. After the Sixers game. Tonight. Yeah. Mike Sealski, Kate Scott, and I did uh, did an episode of What's Brewing. And uh, among other things, and this is if you have kids who are going to go out trick-or-treating this week, and you know they're going to have excess candy that you don't you know, you know, don't mm-hmm. want the kids too much no, candy. You don't want to waste it. Right. Yeah. How, how do... Pair candy and beer. Mm-hmm. And we, we did specific pairings. We did pairings. Uh, we did the basketball beer challenge. That was fun. And Tell people what that is. So what you do is you set a can or bottle of beer on top of a basketball, and you hold the basketball in front of you and then drop Shoulder it. height. Yeah. Shoulder height and then drop it. And the, the bottle or can rebounds off the basketball, fires into the air, and you have to try to catch it and, and drink it. Right. Uh, so we did that, which and was a lot of not fun. Not going to give out results. No, yeah. nope, nope, nope. And, okay. and Kate and I wore costumes. It was a great episode. So that's on tonight. Yeah. Yep. A lot of fun. Everybody should watch that. All right. 215-592-9494. If you're on hold, stick around because we'll get you coming up very soon. Uh, Matt Breen of the Inquirer is going to join us. We'll talk a little more Phillies because you know what? People Can't get enough. People ain't gotten over that one yet. No. <laughs> Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. You know, Ben, you, you did such a great job <laughs> with the music, throwing in like one of my favorite Stone songs. Oh, it's, it's, it might be the best Stone song. One of the great highlights of the playoffs, and just to end it that way. But yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All ben. right. Stop it. Stop. It was all so good. And then it, until it wasn't. Anyway, Matt Breen does a great job of writing uh, baseball, but others features for the Philadelphia Inquirer. His Twitter, his Twitter feed says. Philly native, Temple and Archbishop Ryan Gra- Grad. He, there is nothing as local he, as Matt Breen. You have never met a prouder alumnus of <laughs> Archbishop Ryan High School than Matt Breen. Uh, really? How are you, Matt? I, Thanks for I'm joining good. us. And I just clarify, it's in there because I like to, if it's like, you're from Philly, but like, I want you to know like where in Philly I'm from. Oh, so yeah. that, that lets you know. Uh, you got very, very Philly, specific. And they're not from Philly. So I just want to <laughs> yeah. let you know uh, where I got it. where I'm at. He's talking, about, I'm he's, t- he's talking about me right there. You're from Philly, but you're not from Philly. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. I know there's that pecking order of it, uh, the authenticity. I, I get it. I got one question that I, to start. How are we going to remember this one in 10 years? That, that's the and, great and, question. And, uh, let me get, uh, as I ask an intro. Because having done this for so long, I know the pain of certain losses, and then I know how we look at them going backwards, and the ones that we really remember as the killers, and then the other ones like, yeah, that one too. How's this one going to resonate in 10 years? Yeah, I think you're right about the 10 years part of it, because it's, it's you know as painful as a loss is now, the, the pain is because of what came after the loss and what the loss meant. Uh, like 64 is not 64 if the Phillies win the pennant in 65. It's mm-hmm. just a you know a thing that happens. So uh, I think this is not a not a year that's rem- it's not 2011. It's not it's not the closing of a window. Uh, this team's going to be good. They're going to have a, they have an owner that wants to win. They have a huge payroll. They have Bryce Harper, Zach Wheeler is coming back for another year. I, I think they'll sign Aaron Nola. I, I think they have a core of guys that are going to be good. Um, and they will be, and there's the, the added window of the playoffs 
on the added playoff spots is a big thing too. It's easier to make the playoffs now. So yep. they'll be back in the playoffs next year. And they've shown that even if you make, you win a wild card, it's the third wild card or the first wild card. You still can get to the, well, one game away from the world series. Last year they got the world series. I expect them to be just as good as they were this year, next year. So Matt, you covered the team on the beat for years. You were with them last year throughout the playoff run, you were with them every step of the way during this postseason. And this team was rolling through the Marlins and then through the Braves and then obviously through the first two games against the Diamondbacks. When did you get a sense that the tide was turning? When did you – what was your first like, uh uh-oh, this may not be going in the way everybody presumes it's going to go? Hints of it in Arizona – once, obviously, once they lost game four and it was tied, but you, as long as they won game five, I thought they were fine. They win game five. And then once, not that they just lost game six, I just thought they looked so listless in game six that I said going into game seven, I thought it was over. Like, I didn't go to the ballpark that night thinking, you know, this is, we're going to clinch. I mean, the Phillies are going to clinch and we got to prepare for a celebration in the locker room and a flight two days later and stuff like that. So to me, I was like, you know, I, we, we, sit in our seats and we're saying like, you know, what do you think is going to happen? I said, they're going to lose. Like they just looked so dead the night before that um, I was prepared for them. That's when I thought it all changed. And I know that's late in the game, game six, but it was, it flew out to Arizona thinking they weren't going to leave there with the series. It was thought it was going to end there in game four or five. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, they're coming home, but they're coming home and the place is going to be nuts. And they still have their pitching lined up for six. So they'll, they'll take care of business then. And then they just, looked completely flat, and that's when I thought, you know what, this this is probably how it ends. So if we go back, and this is the last time I ever want to do this, if we go back and assess why did they lose this thing, who deserves the blame, how much is on the manager, how much is on uh, Nick Castellanos, how much is, is, is on um, Kimbrell, whatever, list for us what you would say the top three or four reasons this fell apart. Um, I would put it on, you know, like the manager has a, a big part in this, but he doesn't play. So it's like hard to put him at number one. But I think the, I would obviously put the number one at, at the lineup going f- completely flat and the bullpen not being able to throw strikes once they got to Arizona. So that would be my top uh, reasons. But, you know, about the manager, I just thought it was um like to go back to Orion and Kimbrell a night after they looked so bad was just so strange. Agreed. And then to yeah. keep to keep uh, Boom in the – I know Boom hit a home run in game seven, but to keep him in the in the uh, cleanup spot when it was like teams were just – they just weren't pitching to Harper to get the, to get the Boom. So obvious. And as much as, like, I'm criticizing Rob Thompson, I thought it was really refreshing the other day at the press conference. He said that I need to be more – I will be more adaptable and, mm-hmm. you know, with lineups and stuff. And I thought that was, that was cool. It was like so many times you hear these guys – they, they they stick to what they do and like you're wrong they're right and it was like it was kind of neat to hear a major league manager you know a professional coach say that he he was wrong and he keeps going to make changes and I thought that that was impressive but I mean that doesn't take him off the hook for what happened in the series but again it's it's the, the lineup went flat the bullpen was terrible and also as great as Aaron Ola was in September and up to Game Six. He laid an egg in game six. So it was almost a collective effort, really, mm-hmm. where the, from the, the bullpen, the lineup, the manager, to the um, 
you know, your, your number two starter just kind of dropped, dropped a bag. We're talking to Matt Breen, my colleague from the Inquirer, about the uh, Phillies and their tenure in the postseason and the kind of ignominious exit. So, Matt, you mentioned it at the top, saying that, you know, this is a good team. They're probably going to be back to the playoffs next year. Uh, and what happens in the future will kind of determine the way that this loss is looked at. If you were their general manager, if you were Dave Dombrowski or Sam Fold or whoever, are there any major changes you would consider making? Or do you say to yourself, you know what, you know, moving Nick Castellanos isn't going to change the dynamic here. Uh, if we sign Aaron Nola, bring him back, add some bullpen arms, you can just kind of run this back and, and presume that they're going to be in pretty good shape. Yeah, I think they need a bat in center field, and I would expect them to address that if it's um, free agent-wise or really I think it might be a time to get creative and what Dave Dombrowski has shown he can do and to make a trade and, and to trade for somebody center field and, fielder and, and perhaps you package a Johan Rojas to, to a, you know, a rebuilding team and, and they want to take a bet on a guy like that. But I, I think you need a bat in center field, and that was exposed – like that was one thing I didn't touch on, but you know, as great as he is in with the glove, he couldn't hit, and that's a problem. With the with when you have the DH, you almost can't afford now to have you know the old automatic out batting ninth because everybody in your lineup should be able to hit. And they had really you know towards the bottom of their lineup, they had automatic outs in the playoffs, and you can't have that. So I think you you always want to upgrade the bullpen. Um, they'll do that. They will address center field. I think that's an external. Um, player starting in there on opening day, and I think you have to sign Aaron Nola. Uh, you just you can't look at what $71 million in paying for a starting pitcher got you in October. Yep, a guy that couldn't pitch out of the bullpen. So, like, there's it's not like, well, let Aaron Nola go and you know they'll sign somebody else. There's no, there, there's just it's not there, it's not how it works. Like, you have to sign him, or else you know, starting pitching is so hard, it's so expensive, and even when you pay a ton of money, you're getting a guy that's back in the rotation that can't pitch in the playoff game. Yeah, I was looking at the list. The only two others that would intrigue me are Blake Snell. I have no idea whether he has interest in coming here. And uh, Jordan Montgomery, who actually I think he pitches tonight. Mm -hmm. And he's not as good as Nola. So I agree with you. So, Matt, do you think it's that Nola goes out, looks at the market, and then comes back here and I'll give you a – what five years, hundred and twenty mil? Is that are we talking that nature? I would think. Well, he will test the market because that's the nature of it, right? Mm -hmm. It's only fair to these guys. You wait your whole life to go to free agency. Now you you should go out and get your value. But I think he wants to come. He wants to stay here too. This is where he's made his life in Philadelphia. It's all he's known for the last, you know, almost ten years. So I'm sure he wants to stay here, but years and dollars is what talks. And I think it's more than five. Just in this market really? now is. Mm -hmm. You have to be willing to pay, I mean, to give a guy seven if that's what it takes. And really, like, I think Aaron Nola, to me, is the kind of pitcher that can age well. He doesn't – he's not throwing 99 miles an hour and you're right. waiting for his arm to fall off. He's really been incredibly healthy his entire career. I think he's been on the injured list once. Um, he starts – he's durable. He starts every fifth day. Like, I think this is a guy that you can bet on. Is he not going to – is he going to be top of the line starter for seven years? No, of course not, but – you sign that contract expecting him to be really good for five years, and you, you hope you know those two years at the end don't completely uh, burn you, but you, you pay for the front of it. So, Matt, one of the things that I thought was kind of revealing both 
after Game 7 and really kind of throughout the entire season was Trey Turner's admission after the season that after Game 7 that he was pressing during that playoff series. You know, he got in the 0-for-18 slump and, and was really struggling there. And we saw during the season how much his environment affected him to a certain degree, right? He got in this slump. He was not playing well. He was not hitting well. The standing ovation comes along. He's great until the end of the Diamondback series. I'm curious your perspective on him and what you saw from him and whether you say, okay, it was first season, new team, big contract. He'll be more consistent and kind of level out next season and the year after that. Or do you look at it maybe a little bit more like I was kind of surprised to, to find that he was kind of dealing with the environment in that way? Yeah, I, I, to me, when they signed him, I thought they signed the best player in baseball. And I, that was my pick to win the MVP. Um, I thought, especially from afar, uh, he, was, he, does, he does everything exceptionally well. So I was shocked that, that you know, when he kind of fell on his face for the first half of the season. But I still do believe that Trey Turner can be the best player in baseball. I think he's going to be really good for the, you know, the extent of this contract. I think this is a one, it's a year, it's a lot of pressure on a guy to sign, you know, a $300 million contract in a new city, uh, a demanding city, and fit into a clubhouse where there's all these other superstars where you're not like, you know, the guy and probably, you know, just a strange pecking order of just, you know, the human element. And then you're moving your family here. Your wife's pregnant. Um, you have a young kid. It's just, I just think there's a lot to it. And I think this would be, you know, he had, he picked himself up. So he showed that, that he can, he can bounce back. And then obviously guys go through slumps all the time and his hit with the rest of this offense in this right after game too. And it just, he fell into it with everybody else. So is he pressing with, because everybody else is pressing, you know, you saw Bohm's frustration in game seven with slamming his bat. It seemed like everybody was pressing. So yeah. I still think Trey Turner is, like I said, I think he's he's one of the best players in baseball. Just all around, he does everything well. And I, I think he's going to be, you know, really good going forward. And it was, it was to me, the, the most important thing was that he wasn't stuck in a rut all year like Nick Cassonis was last year. He pulled himself out of that and showed you the second half of the year. He won the best hitters in baseball. Last one from me, Matt Breen, by the way. Follow him on Twitter at Matt underscore Breen, B-R-E-E-N. Uh, and please say hi to your dad for me. Um, and me. Yeah. Um, you, you said they may go out and seek to find uh, to upgrade at center field, and clearly that would be somebody who could play defense. Is it a given now that my first baseman next year is Bryce Harper and that Reese Hoskins, thank you for your years of service, moves on? That's, that's what I would bet on. I would think so. They, they, Dave Dombrowski said they're going to talk to Bryce Harper in the next week or so, and I think he enjoys playing first base. He's, he's pretty good at playing first base defensively, and I think he sees that as – his new position. I think he's going to tell them that, that he's going to be the first baseman in the future for the Phillies. And Reese Hoskins had a, you know, great career here, was part of some bad teams, got to see through that and, you know, go to the world series last year with the Phillies and was a game away from playing in the world series this year. And was just a great steward for the team and the community and the city and stuff like that. So a great Philly for his time here, but I do think that was the end of a, uh, Reese Hoskins in the Phillies uniform was just October. Yep. We'll see you at the reunion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, 
Enjoy. What do it's you do cold, now, you, man? It's you, cold. You, you take off the winter and uh, go put your feet up and uh, pet the dog. What do you do now? Next thing you know, the Eagles will be in the Super Bowl, so I got to get my flight booked to Vegas. And I'll be going out there. <laughs> Good work. Hey, let's end it on that, Matt yeah. Breen. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Take care. Thanks, All right, be Matt. Be well. There you go. Oh, he's already got the next chapter. Yeah. No, he's actually working on a bunch of um, stories coinciding with the anniversary of the 2008. Uh, World Series team. I read the J.C. Romero. J.C. Romero, and he and I are timing would have been great if they were if they were still for another week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And he and I are still collaborating on uh, stories about the Kelly Green era of the Eagles, and we got more of those oh, yeah, coming what's up. Coming there, the yeah. Wes Hopkins one was quite a story. Yeah, thanks. What's um, the, what do we got coming up? Uh, he's doing one on the Bounty Bowl and oh. that, that era. Uh, he got oh. he talked he talked to Luis and Dejas. Oh, yeah, I was at that game. Yeah, oh. and I have a piece coming on Doug Scoville, the quarterback coach who oh, yeah. was going to turn Randall Cunningham around yep. and, yep. and yep. died suddenly during yeah. the 1999 oh, season. I look forward to both of those. Okay. So. And they wear Kelly Green next when? Uh, they... End of November against the Bills. Against the Bills. That's another night game, right? 425, I think. Oh, it's afternoon. Okay, yeah. well, that's good. It's Wonder... good they won the first one. Because otherwise, yes, we would go have to deal with second. that as, as we did with the Kevin Cobb-Kelly Green yes. thing yes. years ago. Yeah, they won it, and it was a fun game. Let's get Robert in Germantown. Appreciate your patience, Robert. Hey, guys. Great Thanks. show as always. Thank you. Thank you. I'm out, I'm out here in Bucks County. It's spectacular. Try to get out. Fall foliage. It's beautiful today. How about the weather right now, man? It is good. It's great. It's almost a little too warm. No, stop. Ah, a little too warm. <laughs> Shut your mouth. What do we got? Hold on. Before you do that, what do we? I'm going to look at my, my uh, phone. I want to see what we got for Halloween this week. Yeah, 52 high, 44 low. That's all right. Kids will love it. That's fine, as okay. long as it's not raining. Yeah. What's up, Robert? Yeah, it's not going to be too bad. A quick question to you, Glenn. You're thinking all morning. I missed the call Rob- our scoring line. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Start again because you zotzed out for a second. Start all over. You wanted to talk about what? Yeah. Yeah, I missed the days, Glenn, when hockey teams had names for their lines. Like, yeah. You know them. Oh, the team, the French Connection. Oh, the French Connection, the LCB line. Oh, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Who was on that line besides Gilbert Perot? Uh, Martin Perot, who's the third guy? Rene Robert. Robert. Rene Robert. Robert, Martin, and Perot. Okay. Yeah, number Thank 14 you. was Robert. You got it. Taking me back to baseball. my youth. Yeah, mine too. Uh, the baseball question, you know, what I think happened, I mean, bringing Kimberly in two days in a row, uh, you know, he didn't have it. He didn't have it first pitch he threw. I mean, I don't get that management stuff. But, you know, really, what I think I saw was a battle between old-time baseball, hit, run, hit singles, versus, you know, hero ball. Let's just try to hit home runs. I was very happy, not that we lost, but I was happy to see baseball win. As I understand the game, how it should be played, guys. So, What's your thought on that? Well, first things first, Robert. Thanks for Thank you so much for the call. Um, I would say this. The way the Phillies played got them 90 wins during the regular season. The way the Diamondbacks played, putting the ball in play, stealing bases, got them 84 wins during the regular season. Yeah. I, I think once the playoffs begin, it's advantageous to a certain degree to play the way the Diamondbacks do because it puts pressure on opposing defense. Mm-hmm. The Phillies hit a, home run, a lot of home runs, and they strike out a lot. So the thing that you don't want to do if you're a team – is not put the ball in play in the postseason. And we've seen this from the Phillies the last couple of years. When it goes bad, it's strikeout, 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 weak ground ball, pop-up, strikeout, strikeout. The Diamondbacks weren't doing that. That doesn't necessarily mean that the way the Diamondbacks played is better 
over the course of 162 games than the way the Phillies play. I agree. It kind of caught up with the Phillies. And the Phillies just seemed to get so desperate. Like, one guy would strike out. The next day, I would think, oh, now i got to hit a five-run home run. Right. It's like, you know, adapt. You got your style, and it works. And as you said, it got them 90 wins. It got them past the Marlins. It got them past the Braves. Mm -hmm. They beat the Braves and the Marlins because they pounded home runs. Right. Castellanos was hitting home runs. Schwab was hitting home runs. Harper was hitting home runs. So I, I can't say this is a ba- a flawed style of baseball. However, you have to be adaptable and flexible enough to know. Okay, well, you know, maybe maybe I shouldn't. After he strikes out, go up and just swing at pitches out of the strike zone. Yeah, and to the Diamondbacks' credit, they bombed away against the Brewers and the Dodgers in the first two rounds of the playoffs. They hit home run after home run, which was not their mo during the regular season. It was only when they got down to the Phillies that they kind of went back to stealing bases and putting the ball in play. Yeah, that kid Corbin Carroll got hot again. He's really good. Really good player. All right, your call is coming up, 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now, Saturday on 94 WIP. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack now. You know, we haven't talked about the Sixers today. Uh, Yeah, it's – they – there's several things going on with the Sixers, one of which is I don't know that in all the years I've been around, there's been a team that's a good t- – we know they're a good team that people are as unenthused about as this version of the Sixers. I think people are exhausted with the Sixers. Yeah. I think they are tired of banging their heads against the second round of the playoffs. I think they are tired of – the drama surrounding once Ben Simmons, now James Harden. I think people look at them and go, they're not as good as the Celtics. They're not as good as the Bucks. Eh. Yeah, well, could be. But there's a lot of good soap opera. Oh, my and gosh. it occurred the other day as the team, the plane, is taxiing <laughs> at Philly International. Wait, wait. wait. Who's, who's that running behind the plane? Is that James <laughs> Harden? <laughs> Now, so the story as I understand it, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. By the way, your colleague David Murphy wrote a good yes, column he did. about this. He wrote a terrific column about it. Is James Harden, I don't know how far back I want to go back, but decides not to opt out of the contract and go to the free agent market where he'll get play. Re-ups here, and then it doesn't work out because they're not going to extend him. So then he wants to trade, but not just trade. He only wants to trade to one team. And so the Sixers are like, get lost, okay? So he's in, he's out, he comes, he goes. Ten days, he's gone. Sixers getting ready for the first game. He shows up ready to get on the team plane. Yes. They don't take him on the team plane because why would they? He's inactive. Inactive guys don't travel with the team. That's a normal thing. Right. But it becomes a thing. Yes, because he's making it a thing. Glenn, have you seen the movie The Dark Knight? Uh, yeah, the Batman movie? Batman, yeah, you know, sure. Heath Ledger is the Joker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says about two-thirds of the way through that movie, I'm an agent of chaos. That's James Harden right now. That's that's who yeah. James Harden's going to be until the Sixers trade him. And look, you get in a staring contest with Daryl Morey at your always, peril. We've seen that. You know, because Daryl will wait and wait and wait. Now, the problem with that is that you're going to have a hole in the roster, right? You don't have James Harden. You're not replacing him with anybody or yeah, anything. Right. If I were them, if I were Daryl Morey, I would trade – Harden sooner rather than later because I think all that's going to happen is that he's going to continue to act out. He's going to continue to disrupt things and he's going to lower his trade value to the point where he doesn't care, right? He doesn't care. Harden doesn't care, but the Sixers ought to care. Yeah. 
you know, trade him now before he really starts to foul really? things up. You, you're going to take 25 cents on the dollar now? I, I think you need to rip the Band-Aid off. I think it's exhausting for the fan, the fan base. It is exhausting for the franchise. And the only thing that would give me pause, and it's a big thing, is Joel Embiid. Is are you going to keep him happy and try to keep him here? They don't want to lose Joel Embiid. What do you Embiid. think he wants? I think he wants to compete for a championship. Well, I, I know. What do you think he wants vis-a-vis Harden? I think he wants either Harden to come back and play this season, similarly to the way he played most of last season when he led the league in assists and was pretty good, or he wants them to trade Harden for something that can help them win a championship. The problem is you're not going to get that. You're just not. No, you're not. But I'm sure he talks to Harden. Yeah, I'm sure he I'm sure he knows what Harden's, what's going on here. Yeah. No, I have no doubt that he does. I, I, I wonder, there's enough scuttlebutt out there about Embiid's future. You know, my colleague Keith Pompey had a story about this the other day, about the trade proposal that the Knicks threw out there, which was R.J. Barrett and, like, a dozen yeah, eggs, basically. Yeah, yeah right. That's <laughs> you know, well put. But, yeah. but it's it's a thing. It's being discussed a lot in NBA circles, uh, meaning Joel Embiid's future. Uh, how committed is he to staying with the Sixers long term? He's looking at They just played a team the other night with a superstar in Damian Lillard who basically said, like, I want to be traded. And ended up getting traded to it. What did he score? Thirty six points in the last two minutes. The yeah, other day? it was crazy. Yeah. Um. So, mm. uh, you know, it's just it's a rough situation all around for that franchise. You know, there's so much better. Uh, well, I don't like to pit teams against each other, but I watched some of that Sixers game the other day. Unfortunately, I watched not the good part. Yeah. Where, where it got close, I watched Embiid throwing the ball all over the place. Yeah. What, it was, what was that? Yeah. It, it he didn't look. He didn't look. Tight, like in a good sense of he didn't tight. Look, to, I'll tell you to me, he didn't look interested. Yeah. He didn't look like he was, his head was in the game. And I don't want to take too much out of it. It's no. one game and whatever. You're on the road, but whatever. They're, I fear they're not going to be fun to watch. Yeah. I fear the regular season is going to be a slog. The, the, yeah. the one potential saving grace, well, two, I'd say. Number one, Tyrese Maxey has a chance to grow into yeah, that'd be, that'd be a fun. player beyond who he's been. Yeah. And I was actually really encouraged by what I saw from Tobias Harris the other night. He was much more aggressive mm-hmm. offensively. Mm-hmm. He's in a contract year. I think Nick Nurse has some ideas about how to utilize and maximize Harris, and I'm curious to see that. Okay. It's like Kelly Obrey had a good game, and it's like, oh, hey, Kelly Obrey's yeah, Kelly, like, Kelly yeah, not going to drop one, 27 one, every night. One game. I, yeah. I don't, you know, okay. All right, let's uh, talk to Sean in Pine Hill. How are things in Pine Hill, Sean? Uh, so, you know, it was 82 degrees in October, and That's I had my right. air conditioner on. So. Hey, do me a favor. You sound a little distant from the phone. If you can uh, either get closer or get off the thing or whatever you can do. It's on my – is that better? Yeah, better. Yes. All right. Um, I got a couple things with the Phillies. Um, nobody wants to watch the World Series. I did because baseball is my first love. Um, just one quick thing to the Phillies fans saying, let's go Rangers. Just don't forget who's out there cheering for the Rangers. He wears number four for the Cowboys. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Yeah. I can't root for the – well, I don't really have a horse in the race because, like, neither of these teams is that interesting to me. Mike does. He'll tell you that in a second. Yep. But I can't base my rooting interest on Dak Prescott. I understand that, but 
a lot of people are like, let's go Rangers, but then, yeah. like, you know. My wife's got family there. My brother-in-law lives there with his family, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, I guess. You know. so, so my they have no other hope for a title, so why not? Yeah. <laughs> well well, <laughs> well, well done there, Glenn. Go ahead, Sean. Um, so I got two things. Uh, first off, Kimbrough, you, that, that was the starting point. Everyone knows it. You're, you're one of the leads in the playoffs. Your job's going in, shut it down. It shouldn't have came back to that game. The Phillies did leave a lot of runners in scoring position throughout the playoffs. I think once they went up 2-0, they started selling themselves. And we all did, too, because we thought this was it. I, the first time I was like, this is our year. We're going. We're yep. winning the World Series. Yeah, I we thought so. I was, yep. I was pretty convinced. Yeah, the bullpen disgusting. Like, that was what's keeping us alive. And then Kimball ran out of gas. And then is this some of his moves that, that, he, that Topper did was just like, I think the the well the easiest decision is that Kimbrel's not going to be back. Uh, yeah. I you know we were all so encouraged by Kirkering what we saw at the end of the season in the first round of the playoffs, and I think he'll be good. I think the moment was a little big for him. Yeah. He started throwing balls and lost his confidence. So yeah, we were talking about rooting interest in the World Series. I'm, you know, the needle pushes very very slightly to Texas just because we have family there. You you've got. In your house, some interest. I do. So my older son, Evan, has been a Arizona Diamondbacks fan since he was about four years old. He might be the only one in the greater Philadelphia area, and he is certainly the only – he might be the only person other than uh, um, Zach Gallon's family that was yeah. happy that uh, the Phillies lost and the Diamondbacks won. So he actually went to school the other day with a Diamondbacks shirt on. Oof, After game risky. seven, and yeah. his, his mother and I told him, like, look, buddy, n- number one, I love his independence. He, you right. you root for the team you want to root for, but if you come home with a black eye, like, you can't say we didn't warn you. Um, and it, it emerged unscathed. But, yeah, last night he uh, he struggled a little bit last was it, night. What was the connection? When he was really young, he was fixated on the colors red and black. Okay. And so, like I mentioned before, yeah. he loves the Atlanta Falcons, yeah. Miami Heat, and Bulls. the Arizona, Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah. yeah, He might be one of three Diamondbacks fans here. There's him, Zach Gallon's family, and um, our brand manager from Arizona. Oh, Rod Lakin. Well, Rod oh, spent yeah. his whole life there. <laughs> yeah, that's Yeah, point. although I will say this about Rod Lakin, our brand manager. Rod knows from where his paycheck comes <laughs> and how it would have helped all of us yes. to yes. get another week out of Phillies. So I imagine while Rod's heart may originally be with Arizona, Rod's brain was rooting for the Phillies. Yes, I joke. Yeah, uh, but that's a fair one. Yep. Aaron is. in Ben Salem is uh, here to talk about the Phillies. Hello, Aaron. Good afternoon, fellas. How are you doing today? All right, doing well. So I'm a I'm a baseball fan, you know, and so what I noticed, so games one and two kind of went the script how we thought they should go, uh, two and three. So. Phillies win game five, mm-hmm. and what I what I notice about the Phillies is that um, consistently, well, throughout the year, they play with aggression. You know, what I mean, just they like to bully. They were like bullies, for lack of better words. And I think what happened was when when aggression doesn't work in baseball, and you have to revert back to like just the fundamentals of the game pitching, base running, I just think they got outplayed more so than anything else. And I don't think the Diamondbacks were really concerned about the big bad Phillies because they beat Milwaukee, which was a better team that won more games than they won. And they beat the Dodgers. So they really had nothing 
yeah, to worry about. I, other I don't think anybody's. Just, I I think at that level, teams are rarely intimidated. If that's well, not so much intimidated. There was this narrative of the big bad Philly yeah. coming to this, you know, city. Oh, you're talking about games. the fan base. Okay. Yeah, even with the players too, you can kind of feel the the moxie, like, and they should. Yeah, the Phillies were playing great ball, but I just think at times, you know. The Diamondbacks just have a more fundamentally sound way of going about they did. playing the game. Yeah. They they did, Aaron, and thanks for the call. Look, we, we talked about this. They put the ball in play. They put pressure on the Phillies' defense. I think, I think to Aaron's point, I do think that game three against Fott, when they couldn't hit him at all and were – that guy. Yeah, getting bad at bad. I got to tell you, that's the one I did not see coming. Yeah, absolutely not. I looked and at his season stats, a 572 ERA, and I said, this yeah, fat. And they had just beaten them 10 nothing the yeah, previous game. Yeah. Um, Turns but out the kid was learning something. It was. And the fact that they didn't hit anything hard against him in game three, the way they lost that game, I think that gets to what Aaron is talking about, that, oh, you know, they're not going to mash the ball every single night. And when they don't mash it, they're not going to manufacture runs. They're just going to strike out a lot. You know, maybe the series turned there from a psychological standpoint. Yeah, maybe. So let me ask you this. The one of the biggest stories, if not the biggest story of the back end of the season was that ballpark and that crowd. And, you know, God bless the national media for showing us in a positive light for once. Yes. Right. We Absolutely. The, you the, couldn't you could the not. JD Drew Santa Claus Michael Irvin narrative eventually died down. It did. You got quoted in an article by a national publication about that, uh, as I, I recall. Yes, I appreciate the athletic for reaching out to me. Yes. Um and the park was electric. Yes. And it was great. What's it gonna be like next year? I think it'll be similar. You, you can't yeah. you I mean, can't, I know April's not September, so yeah, yeah, you can't possibly reach that pitch that it reached in October in April or May. But I do think now that the team has been back to the playoffs a couple of years, it is perceived as being likable. Uh, It has players who have connected with the fans, who have acknowledged the fans for helping them. You know, we talked about Turner and the standing ovation and Harper and Schwarber and all of these guys. So I think the ballpark will be a fun place to be, you know, come the beginning of next season. All right, I got a question for you from uh, avid listener and a friend of mine, Mark Thompson. Okay. Uh, hey, Mark. He said, my question is, how long do I need to be post-mortem Phillies before I can be 100% Eagles? Oh, I think it ends tomorrow. I was going to say t- midnight tonight. Yeah. Yeah, this is yeah. it. This is it. This tomorrow- is, I mean, for us. Right. This is our first chance to really be on, so we've dedicated a lot of show to it. I'm doing the pregame show tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's 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 it is. No, we, we, I, we turn the page tomorrow. When I wake up at six o'clock tomorrow morning to drive down to FedEx Field. Oh, you're headed down there. Yeah, right? I'm yeah. not going to be thinking about the Phillies at all. No, the page this is will it. have been turned. Yes, tomorrow is the day we all go 100 percent Eagles, and that's going to be pretty. Yeah. I'm going to take another week. Are you probably? Really? Yeah, I, like it's the Commanders, and the Eagles are six and one. Give me the Cowboys week. To really get into oh, it. Oh, you know what? That well, that's a good point. That is true. After Commander, assuming they win tomorrow, which it, you know, I oh, think they will. Speaking of which, we got to do. We got to do the folded piece yeah, of paper. Yeah, we'll do that on the other side of the break. But okay. uh, assuming they win tomorrow, that is true. Nothing will get people's minds off of the Phillies' loss like Cowboys Week. Yeah, absolutely not. That's gonna absolutely be, not. Yeah. Especially if the Cowboys 
you know, win again this week. You yeah. only have two losses. That game's that here. Game. I wish that game was there first. I want to play there first, here second, but whatever. Yeah, no, it's not working out. They, they're they there in, um, what is it, December 10th, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Okay. 215-592-9494. By the way, just real quickly, I want to tell people, write down in your calendar, November 29th, Wednesday. You too, Ben. Kenny, want you there. Uh, it's going to be a big charity event. I'll be able to tell you more about it in a week or two, but it's going to be at Puddler's Kitchen and Tap uh, in Bridgeport, 3 DeKalb Street, one of the contract and brewing company places. If you're a hockey guy or a hockey gal, this one's for you. Mike <laughs> Sielski, Glenn Mack, now on 94 WIP. All right, Mike Sielski, I hold in my hand a folded piece of paper. And on this piece of paper is the exact final score of the Eagles game Mm -hmm. tomorrow against the Washington Commanders, or as my friend Hugh Douglas calls them, the Washington Commodores. Commodores. Or as my friend John Ritchie calls them, the Washington Commies. All of the above fit perfectly fine to me. They're a brick. Let the record reflect last week. I picked the Eagles to win by, I think, six, and they won, covered, and did well. Mm -hmm. What do you got tomorrow? So... As I said earlier in the show, the Eagles always seem to play Washington better at FedEx Field than they do at Lincoln Financial Field. I think they will get after Sam Howell in a way they were unable to uh, in the team's previous meeting. I think this is going to be pretty one-sided. I say Eagles 27-10. to 27-10. Well, ooh, that's a score we know in this town all too well too many yes. times. But on the wrong end of that score a few times. Glenn Mack now picks... The identical score to last week's Dolphins game, Eagles 31-17. That's right, my friend. I'm sticking with it. Okay. And I, think, and I like it. And I mean, you covered the, the essentials, which is that Sam Howell is going to hit the ground more than once. You and I are going to be texting back and forth like, ooh, there's a point for my Georgia game. <laughs> and you're going to say, ah, look yeah, at that. There's Haas. Hassan Reddick yeah. with a sack and a half. That's right. And that's I think right. that's – I mean, I really do think the key to the game is going to be the Eagles' defense is just going to beat him up. Washington really – have a running game that I know to speak of. Antonio Gibson's doing nothing no. at this stage of his career. Um, they scored seven points against the Giants last week. Terry, seven. Terry McLaurin's going to hurt us. Yeah. He, oh, excuse me. He, I, I don't. I don't say us. Terry McLaurin's going to hurt them. Us as fans. Mm-hmm. Terry McLaurin is going to hurt the Eagles because he always does, mm-hmm. and that's going to happen. Yes. He's going to have a touchdown and ninety-eight yards. But I'm very interested to see the kid Bayard. The new kid. I'm mm-hmm. very interested to see how much are they going to play him. Yeah. Is he, I mean, listen, the guy's played every game forever. He's got to learn a new system. But I, you know, I think he'll be out there. I do, too. You know, he's a smart guy. I he's do too. experienced. Yep. Uh, I think he'll be out there, and we'll see. Blankenship is back. He is black. Back. No, he's Excuse not me. black. He's, he's actually Blankenship. white. <laughs> Why do you have to make this about race, Glenn? <laughs> <laughs> yes, go ahead. Um, no, he's back. They're they're pretty healthy. I want to see how Hurts moves on this knee. Uh, yeah. And, and if they have him run at all. Uh, um, uh, only we'll concern. See. Yeah. Julio Jones, one and a half receptions over under. Under. He'll have another one. Yeah. Yeah. Nine yards. Yeah, something like that. You know, first down from like the 40, they'll throw it to him for seven or eight yards. A.J. Brown, 125 yards over under. Can he continue this amazing streak? Over. I'll take wow. Over. I'll take the over. All-time great season he's having. He is. He is. He's really good, and uh, they're lucky to have him. They're smart that they got him. Yeah, well, another masterful move by Howie Roseman. And now we go to our producer, young Ben Kenny, who, by the way, 
Ben Kenning has more interest in college football than than like anybody I know this side of Lincoln, Nebraska. For a Philadelphia what, native. What is Yeah. Yeah, what is with this? I like it. It's how I spend my time. It is un, it is unbelievably fun if you if you lend yourself to it. Like that's fine. There's no better way to spend a Saturday than caring about Lance Leipold in Kansas pulling up <laughs> an upset against Oklahoma. Yeah, well. The you people broaden your care. horizons, man. I well, I think they're too broad. That's the point. <laughs> yeah. Fair point. Um, yeah. So all this conjecture. What did we forget to talk about today, Ben? Yes. Uh, all this conjecture. Should the Phillies re-sign Hoskins, Nola, uh, Lorenzen? No one wants Kimbrel. They have a big, big decision to make this offseason. Whether or not to pick up a $13 million club option for infielder slash outfielder Scott Kingery. Ooh. Oh, re- wow. What is this, 2019? <laughs> yeah. I haven't heard that name since then, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's the easiest decision they make this offseason. Yeah, it's a shame. I, I would love to know, get to the bottom of what exactly happened to that kid. I still will believe in my heart that they ruined him when they had, I forget who the batting coach was, but they were just bringing in these batting coaches like, no, you got to do this, launch angle, launch, blah, blah, blah. yeah, all this, and they, and they changed his swing, and he's trying to hit more home runs than hit line drives, and that he never recovered. From. Yeah, there's probably something to that. Yeah, that's he's he's a what, what might have been. been. Yeah. Do you guys remember the spring training? He showed up, and the one picture made him look super strong, and everybody lost their minds. No, I remember the spring training. He showed up and he hit 390 and made the team. When I, I nobody was down thought he there. Was that, yeah, yeah, I was down there that time. And Larry, we mentioned Larry Boa earlier in the show. Nobody was higher on Scott Kingery. Than Larry Boa. This kid's going to be great. This kid's going to be their second baseman of the future. Yeah. And it just never worked Actually out. Actually, had one decent season. You had a season where he hit like 275 with Sonny like Homers. Yeah. And like, you know, you thought at that point it was going to work, but it didn't nope. happen. And, and now they don't really need him. Nope. All right. What else we got there, Ben? All right. So, game one of the World Series, we kind of touched on it. I didn't watch. I don't care who wins. I, I can't bring myself to watch it. There's a weird parallel going on, though, because in 2001, the Yankees were playing the Diamondbacks in the World Series. Mm-hmm. George Bush threw out the first pitch. Yeah. The Yankees hit a game-tying homer had in the arm, ninth. George Bush. Yes. He did. He that did. was an incredible moment. That yes, was, it was an incredible moment yep. to have him throw that first pitch, the way that he threw it, the way he carried himself in that moment at that time. Yep. It, it was it was kind of chilling in a way. Definitely. It, you know, um, so goosebumps. It, goosebumps. In that game when Bush threw out the first pitch, Yankees tied it in the ninth with the homer. They walked it off with a famous Jeter homer, I believe, in the 11th or 12th. Last night, the exact same thing happened, except in Texas. I Bush saw. throws out the first pitch. Yeah. Corey Seager, finally, somebody hits Paul Seawald, which the one thing I can't get over from the series. I, it's so personal. With it him. is. He's, yeah. you know, it's he's like, only 25, but going, it's like he's a 65. We're going deep into the weeds here. He's like a 65-year-old. Yeah, Paul Seawald we're talking just, about here. I can't get how they didn't hit the Diamondbacks bullpen. No, like Seawald, Paul Seawald's good. throwing 94-mile-an-hour yeah, meatballs. But he's good. I will say this. Uh, all respect to George Bush because he's throwing out the pitch, and I don't know how old he is now, but the, the arms lost a little bit, just a bit in the last 22 years. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, to be expected. So, so has mine. Yeah. So. <laughs> to be anyway, expected. But good for him for being out. The the punchline was the Diamondbacks oh. walk or the Rangers walked it off. Yes. In yes. the eleventh or twelfth. Actually, yeah. actually though, I saw that on Twitter, and um, that's not entirely true. Bush threw out the first pitch before Game Three, 
in 2001, and then the Yankees walked it off in games four and five. Well, there you go. Oh, we killed this whole angle. Yeah, All right, did. we got time for one Consider more. Consider me brought in. Um, if you guys want to feel even worse about the series. Oh, God. Jeez, what ben. are you doing, Ben? <laughs> There's nothing else that Go I – Back to your Kansas-Oklahoma game. <laughs> well, I don't think you guys want to hear about that. No. Um, Oklahoma keeps turning it over. Okay. Alec Thomas, the uh, bench bat, the yeah. slap-hitting center fielder that yeah, hit the home run, the home run, was on MLB Network. And he said Tori Lovello told him when he was pinch hitting that he was going to go up there and bunt. Wait, Tori Lovello told him to bunt. And then he, and then called he hit a him home back run right before he went up and, and he hit the home run. Uh, why is he doing this? To I don't, he's, it, does right, the word what, sadomasochistic mean anything to you? Yeah, you know what feature just ended on this show? What we forgot, forgot to, to talk, talk about, about with Ben Kenny. <laughs> all right? You may be out of the dinner at he, this yeah, point. Yeah, but he's going to replace it with. This week in Kansas football with Ben Kenny. All well, right, Mike Sielski, who gets more points tomorrow in the stupid football bet? I do. I think, uh, I think Reddick's going to have two sacks, yeah. and your Georgia guys are going to have one. Maybe. Uh, if I'm a little concerned about Jordan Davis not playing, we yeah. will find out about that. You picked the Eagles to win by a score of? 27-10. 27-10, and I say they're going to win, thir- what did I say, 31-17. 31-17. I'm sticking with that. Okay. Uh, what do you got for the rest of the day? Uh, working on my book and going out to dinner with good friends tonight. Very in, nice. In Bucks County. That's good. Yeah, how about you? Uh, nothing. <laughs> good for you. I'm going home to, pran- to plan the pregame show tomorrow. Well, there are good games on later. No, stop with the games. <laughs> the World Series, maybe. I'll watch more. You're a Le- dog with a bone. I'll watch Lupin. Uh, and what else am I doing? I got I to gotta plan a movie night with Ray, and I got to plan a couple of beer shows. But our show, our episode of what's brewing with you and me and the effervescent, very fun Kate Scott. She's awesome. Is on tonight after the Sixers game on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Probably around 11 o'clock. It is the Halloween edition where we took the five most popular Halloween candies and paired them with beer styles. If you have kids, take notes because this is what you're going to want. It was really rough work to do this show, eating candy and drinking beer afterwards. It was was hard labor. It was a pretty good time. So Anyway, thanks to everybody for listening. I'll be on tomorrow, the pregame show, uh, starting at 10 o'clock with Countdown to Kickoff. Stay tuned for Elliot uh, Shore Parks and James Seltzer. Go Birds Radio next on 94 WIP. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device. Credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh.